I'm Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks, thank you for tuning into their episode of Bucks of America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vance. Tonight's guest is Corey. I want to say your last name wrong. Haas, correct? You got it. Haas. Hit the, 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 the key long A's there. So Corey here is for, he's out of Illinois, and he reached out to me on, on, on the social medias there and asked me to set up, a, do a podcast. So I'm actually pretty excited about it because he's actually got a very quite effective tool that any bow guy should actually put on their phone it's an easy thing it's called the uh, bow shop bible and it has everything you'd want to have in there it's got a variety of bows stretching back several years pretty much every major carrier on there so you don't you're not going to be missing anything along with it it's very easy to use very intuitive and on top of that too there's a lot of unique things that are on some of the the bonus features in there they got podcasts in there you got diys for paper tuning uh even a couple of bow spotlights just to kind of give you some highlights of what's in this app we're actually going to be talking about Corey, his love and passion for the outdoors, how his recovery of his shoulders has been coming since he had a, a surgery here a few weeks back, and uh, talk about the the creation of Bow Shop Bible. So, Corey, tell us about yourself, sir. Well, I'm about an hour southwest of Chicago. I like to say right where the suburbs meet the cornfields. Uh, it's a it's a great place to hunt deer. But as, as a youth, I was actually raised a waterfowl hunter. My father was a taxidermist and you know, in our basement, we had every duck and goose from North and South America. So I started duck hunting when I was just a little kid, and that continued on through my teenage and you know, 20, 20 year old years and whatnot. But when I was uh, when I was about fifteen, we went on a we went on a pheasant hunt on some public ground, and I came across an Eastern Game Getter arrow that one of the bow hunters must have shot at a deer. Uh, never recovered the arrow; had a broadhead on it. And uh, and we took that back with us. <clears throat> us kids rode in the back of a truck back then. And, <laughs> yeah. and I had that whole truck ride to stare at that arrow. And I'm like, man, this is something, you know, something like I've never seen. I really want to get into this. So I started shooting a bow. And uh, yeah. before you know it, man, I was out there bow hunting. And, uh, you know, the first year I went out, uh, didn't kill anything. But the very next year I got my first deer and I've been hooked ever since. Very cool. So give us the... the... And I know I know it's quite a ways back, but give us some memories from that from that experience when that when you let go of that arrow and it did its job. Well, let's see. It was actually like like I said, my second year of bow hunting, and I took the day off of school and uh, we went back behind a buddy's house and went back behind there. There's there this uh, pretty good section of woods and got up in. I had a hang on tree stand which we okay. had gone out there and I had some actually some landscape spikes and we had gone out there beforehand and pounded those in the tree and uh, we had a hang on but back then we didn't have ratchet straps or whatnot they were actually chain ons so no kidding yeah yeah chain ons and you know if you're smart about it you you take a kind of like a smaller landscape spike and put that to catch the chain otherwise it would come down and catch on the taper of the tree okay it would be a bear to get off but yeah i got up in the tree and uh <clears throat> saw him uh coming in and luckily i mean this is going back years now 
luckily he uh, he presented me about a 25 yard shot and I I got him. Um, went down and got my buddies. We went and got it. It was it was it was quite quite the event, you know. Absolutely. That is that is always exciting. To, like your first year is usually one of the most memorable memorable, especially when you have when you take it with a bow. Do you still ha- did you turn that into a European mount or shoulder mount? No, you know that that it was it was just a little basket rack. The only thing I had from from that is a picture. Um, at least I got the picture, you know. Um, yeah. If it was bigger, I'd have done, done a European or something. Uh, the first nice buck I got, you know, I got mounted, so got quite a, quite a few heads, but. For, that since, particular yeah. one, Especially since your dad is is a uh, a, uh, a lifetime taxidermist. Now, uh, so what uh, what got your dad into doing taxidermy? Uh, he he ran a butcher shop in Naperville, and uh, he met a scientist from Argonne uh, through okay. the butcher shop, Everett Staffold. He actually was the artist. I want to say the 1978 Illinois Duck Stamp, um, and they became really good friends. And whatever it would do, he, he did paintings and carvings. Whatever okay. it would do, would uh, he would take he would he would have drawers of pelts of every duck and goose and animals uh, to assist him for his carvings. And he also did taxidermy. Well, he took my dad and maybe one or two other guys way back in the day and uh, put on a little class for him and taught him. And, uh, you know, that's that, that's where it started. And he, he my, my, my father's passed now, so, so is Everett. But um, my dad back in the day, I mean, nobody could touch his work in the uh, Lockport, Joliet area of, you know, the southwest suburbs. He was really good. Yeah, made a lot of people happy for prices that uh, compared to what they're getting these days. My dad's probably rolling over in his grave. To oh, see no kidding. For a duck these days, but yeah. Well, what was one of the fondest memories, like watching your dad work? Do you have a fun memory where he was working on something exotic that you'd never thought you'd actually see firsthand? Yeah, you know, he's done quite a few mounts that really stuck with me. One was uh, a red fox that had a pheasant in its mouth, and that that was absolutely beautiful. And then he did one that was on a three to four foot tall piece of driftwood. He did, I want to say three, possibly four pintails coming down off of that, kind of in flight. And just just the beauty he captured with it was re- remarkable. Um, but the cool thing was, is uh, you know, we we would trim the fat off the ducks for him. We would try to help out, you know, with with the process. But if it, if anybody out there has ever mounted a duck or goose, they know it it is a lot of work, and it's all for naught if you can't get the pose right. So my dad, he would bring us in. He's like, hey, how do you think this mallard looks? How do you think this goose looks? You know, okay. He would let us critique them and stuff like that, and. That kind of trained me to like have a good eye for it, and and I did a little te- taxidermy as well. I didn't do it for like a, a side hustle or like a semi career like like he did, but uh, yeah, it's it's really something. And the fact that his mounts are still around today, being enjoyed by people, you know, speaks volumes you know for the quality of the work that is a great legacy to have i mean that's to be able to create your artistry and bring it back to life for for that one special person because that memory now will live on and, and his legacy will continue on for at least another generation for for the for and give inspiration for those that want to get into taxidermy and actually my my little sister um she's doing deer heads now she's kind of carrying on the legacy of my father and her her married name is amber lieberman and my dad's name was al so her initials 
or AL. So it's Al's taxidermy all, all over again, but with a you know a different meaning, of course, with the with the name. But uh, she's she's really been doing re really good with the taxidermy. Little overwhelming. She's got two young kids and a husband that works full time, so she's like pulling her hair out. But uh, let's put it this way: I, I don't think she's taking any more deer heads in right now because she's swamped. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, that's that's a great thing that she's established that uh, uh, respectability inside the the taxidermy realm because it's like if you're turning away business, you're doing something right. Right. Yep. For sure. Yeah. She was trained. She was trained up in uh, Wisconsin by the Reinhardts. Um, she she went up there for a couple classes and she's she's learned from other places as well. But she's really turned into a damn good taxidermist. That's amazing that that she decided to pursue that right there. So did she ever give you an explanation what drove her that decided to go down that alley and that pathway to get into taxidermy? She's always been a go getter, um, and and she's been raised around hunting and taxidermy, and uh, you know it doesn't bother her. I mean she she shoots a bow too. I mean hopefully we're gonna get her first bow kill this next season, but um, it's just something that she uh, said I'm I'm gonna try this, and she went 100 percent at it, and you know that's that's what it turned into. Hopefully she keeps doing it. Hopefully it doesn't stress her out to the point that where she's like ah that's it. It's going good. Understandable. The nice thing is, it's like you just reassure her that it's just a matter of time because the kids are going to grow up. They're going to they're going to they're going to become more self reliant, and then you'll be able to be able to dedicate more to it. And the best part, being so close to to Wisconsin, she can easily jump across the border and start from September to January thirty first, especially on, on the the farmland two area. Tag is dirt cheap too. It's like one hundred and sixty bucks for a buck tag. So you can't really go wrong with that. So it's like if she can't if she doesn't have the time in Illinois, at least she can jump up north and go up there. Yeah, no, we, we have a couple spots around here. It's getting harder and harder to find a spot. And then we have our wonderful state that's going around culling every last deer that they can find. And that's that's a story for another day. But I've got a dedicated Facebook group to fighting the culling. Um, but yeah, I, I think she's going to be able to connect. As long as she has the time and can get out there, I think we'll be able to put a doe or a buck down for her. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if it keeps going bad here in this state, little trip north of the border it sounds like you guys got a pretty good herd up there we do that is quite surprising too even like on saturday i was headed up to, to north of eau claire to new auburn to go to hang out with my good friend jeremy from the talk stamp which you two have met mm -hmm. and i'd even mentioned to him on saturday that i'm having you on my podcast today. i'm not sure if he's gonna be able to stop by today but uh he was telling me about his experience or i was talking about my experience coming up just to go visit him i saw probably not even over exaggerating at least 100 birds and just turkeys alone because it's been so wow. cold and then all of a sudden we have this massive warm front come through and it's like we're, we're finally sitting at 32 degrees it's amazing what happens when you go from negative to plus 30 it's like it's like a warm front coming through and there was birds everywhere it was just really cool to see beer just dragging across the ground it's like man this this uh upcoming spring season is gonna be a busy one yeah i've probably killed i don't know how many turkeys but they've all been during the fall they've all been during bow season which for us illinois people that's uh five dollar tag i've gone out twice during the spring and uh haven't connected i love hearing that thunderous gobble and calling them in and sitting in the blind um but the one thing around here is we have some big hardwoods and whatnot there's not necessarily turkey in them um as you go further south to central illinois and whatnot and further west you're going to find more turkey but unfortunately for us i mean a couple of the woods that we hunt i mean big oak woods would be perfect for turkey but they're just not here i would love to uh snatch some eggs or just get a little wild group of them and let them go and see what happens. But they'd have to fend off the coyotes, which we got plenty of them here too. Oh, isn't that the truth? I know my uh, father-in-law's dad, he's a big coyote. He lives over by Deer Grove down there, just uh, over by Princeton area, just oh, yeah. south, southwest of you. And they, they usually hit about, 
I don't know, 100, 125 coyotes in a season. So, and it makes things a little bit different because they don't use dogs like some some of the uh, coyote hunters use, but they try to do their best with calling and stuff like that. And the last couple of years, they've been hitting right around that mid 70s, mid 80s. But when they let them know, at least their their efforts have not gone to waste because if they're not, if they haven't really, if they've taken their foot off the gas, it's amazing how fast those coyotes can really reproduce because we'll be moving into uh, their gestation areas when they're starting to be start uh, breeding really rather rapidly because it'll be warming up and such. I know uh, up here we have we have a couple of coyote contests coming up and I have a friend, couple of friends that participate in them and when they get themselves a female, they just reek of estrus. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I, I, I grew up going out for coyotes. Actually, my, my father had a Johnny Stewart game call, at, you know, the old cassette tapes. And we would go out, you know, if we had snow on the ground, we'd go out at night and we'd kill gray fox, red fox, coyotes and whatnot. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, I've, 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 I've killed them uh, as I've gotten older over callers. You know, we used to make electronic calls out of an MP3 player, amplified speaker, and a yeah. megaphone. Now it's all fancy with Fox Pros. But I started a coyote hunting group. The beginning of this year, we had like 20 people on there. Now we got like 1,500. When the people log in, they, they, they say their state and what firearm they use. Okay. Man, these guys, these guys are some serious hunters, man. It's just amazing to see the pictures and hear the stories. A lot of them got small fortunes invested with the night vision and the tripods and the it's unbelievable. For sure, but like I, I like dude, if you've, thing, you've seen those pulsar uh, scopes. Those pulsar scopes go for forty five hundred up to six thousand. That's just the scope. So it's like that. It definitely goes towards the old saying. It's like you buy a hundred dollar scope or a hundred dollar gun, but a thousand dollar scope. And then now it's like, well, you go coyote hunting, you buy a six thousand dollar scope, you buy a thousand dollar gun. Yeah, that's that's definitely outside my tax bracket. Um, <laughs> That, that and the fact that these days, I mean, yeah, around where I'm at, there's just really no place to go anymore. Uh, it, it's nice to be out in the country. You know, you're out in a rural area. You do a bunch of different sets and stuff like that. But we would have to go to spots where we're look, looking over our shoulder a little bit, trying to make it a quick 15-minute set and get out of there. But I'm hoping to get back out through this group. I've uh, strengthened some friendships and uh, got some guys that have some farmland. So looking forward to getting out and doing that because that's that's actually important for, for the deer herd as well. And the pheasants and the rabbits and you know you, you name it whole broad spectrum of thing that's why we it's it's always interesting when you get antis when it comes down to coyote control because they don't quite grasp the idea behind it and why we do what we do call that that uh call that situation because if they don't we won't pay attention to that population then they'll start growing and get themselves involved with uh household cats dogs uh i haven't heard any major stories where they've gone after kids but there's still that fear that can that that can occur for that situation there i'm hoping you're able to get back out there one as as the as this next hopefully next season because you're pretty much i don't know about how much snow you guys have gotten but it's been kind of a wet year mostly like being rain yeah we we had snow on the ground for a while throughout christmas and whatnot and it, it just melted the last three or four days here I think that window of night hunting may be gone. Um, weather seems like it's going to be more, you know, more warmth coming in here in the near future. Got to go out and get them next year, or I mean, do some late day sits and try to call some in. I know what I've uh, what I've been uh, when I was growing up in Iowa and getting out there and doing some uh, getting after some squirrels or some pheasants when I was growing up in the nineties. I looked with my dad and his friends about that. Wouldn't be uncommon. We'd 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 come close to a coyote sound off at six seven o'clock in the morning, and it's like that's a, another opportunity to time to get in there after too as well because I've seen a lot of, like when I used to have my trail cameras in Minnesota, I'd see them all the time on there right around that five to seven a.m range and then if i've been out in the tree stand a couple of times and i've seen them walk up to me being curious and it's like by the time i see them and 
they know us that I've seen them, and then they scurry off. It's like, well, I'm not gonna get a shot. Yeah, they they're they're one of the toughest animals to hunt. I I remember distinctly being up in one of my old tree stands when I was a younger guy. I I would always carry a diaphragm call in my pocket, and if there weren't any deer or if I saw a coyote way out in the distance, I would put the diaphragm call in and do a little crippled rabbit call. And uh, I didn't see any at that time, but I just I'm like, yeah, a couple minutes left, it's been dead. So I I gave it a couple whelps on the diaphragm call, and I had two coyotes come in, and I was already stood up, had my bow. I, I had my bow in my hand. It came in, it wasn't even looking at me, wasn't even looking, and I had some cover in front of me. I drew back, and that sucker, he saw me, gone. I'm like, how did that coyote sense that? And another time I had one, uh, I was on a field edge and he was uh, working a little ditch with his back to me. And I had him at 50 yards shooting a Halon 5. So that could have been the problem. Uh, a little bit of a loud bow. And I think I smacked my arm a little bit, but wind was okay. in my face and I had shot. By the time that arrow got there, he was 10 yards away. They, they have senses like no other. Oh, they, they are very, they're very wily. I have one story that I've, taught, I've told several times on the podcast where my wife and I were out hunting here a couple of years ago. We had to come in within 40 yards and trying to make, try not to draw too much attention, but I gave my wife the range finder and it's like, you just let me know where it's at and I'll just adjust my single pin, draw on it. But when it got into 40 yards, getting up to draw, then it decided to take off. It was strange that how the, the coyote interacted them from thereafter because it stretched out another 300 yards, but what it would do is it would run... 10, 15 yards, stop and look. Then do it again. And do it all the way out to, because like I've, you get bored in tree stand, you get, you know, I'm just sitting on a field edge, like, okay, how far is the next uh, field edge there? It's like 300 some yards. I just watched it do the whole fire thing. So if I had a, like a, if it was during gun season, I could easily put one, put a, put a, a slug in it. I was bow hunting. That's pretty, pretty much I primarily do these days. And that's what I really strive for, because it's like, it's so much more fun, because it's like, you have to be that much more in tune with the environment, and you got to be paying attention, like, okay, does that sound like a squirrel or does that sound like a deer? And we've all been in that scenario. It's like, well, what's going to be when it, when it finally decided to reel its head. I had a sit in this early or back in early November setting on a, on, a, on a major intersection where I know there's a ton, tons of deer crossing through. I hear this loud rustling coming. I'm during magic hour. And it's like, all right, I know it. I hear it coming, getting closer, getting closer. I'm getting ready to draw because if it's if it shows up, we're going to be face to face. So it's like, I might as well just be ready to drill it. Here comes this little possum walking out. And it's the noisiest thing I've ever heard. And the funny thing was like a couple days earlier, my dad, my buddy texted me. He's like, yeah, I shot a possum. It's like just kind of dumb luck. It's like all of a sudden I have one showing up and stuff like that too. I didn't put an arrow through it, but it's like, you know, it's just, I couldn't believe how loud it was because it's it's freaked him out too because like he's like look up, it's like what okay stare down he keeps backing up backing up and then he just takes off it's like that's the end of that one the, the old possums and raccoons man i'm telling you they'll they'll make the old heart jump won't they oh, oh yeah they will there was one morning here last year i was setting out and i all of a sudden hear this parade of animals and it was a mama coon and a bunch of babies coming through oh, yeah, yeah. but it was it was just too dark to put an arrow through it because it's like well it was just too dark i couldn't see it because like all, all i knew and then once it finally got light enough it's like well now they're so far away but i finally recognized what the sound was yeah it's pretty cool to see too you know you get to observe the other uh, critters in the woods and whatnot um you, you had touched on that that you pri primarily bow hunt now yes um and and i'm with you on that i mean i i, I have young kids now and you know i hope to get back out and do some duck and goose hunting and rabbit pheasant and whatnot but I made a decision at one point when I when I had limited time to just focus on bow hunting. And Illinois has a great deer herd. Well, what, what's left of it is great. The experience and the amount of meat you yield and just the time in the tree. I mean, that, that's that been the one constant in my life since I've been 15. I mean, okay. The world's changed. Life's changed. 
but that one thing, and I tell you what, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But the thing is, is it's not easy to uh, to be good at shooting, to be accurate at shooting a bow, um, to be a good hunter. It, there's many skill sets that come into play, and you have to work on them. As you see the younger generations coming up, they're a little bit lazier. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Uh, more of the video game generation, more of the easy way out generation. Some of the guys my age, your age, those guys are doing the same thing. And uh, it just, you know, I've, I've, I've got mixed feelings on seeing the percentage sway towards the crossbows because I think people are taking the easy way out if they're not disabled or el elderly, um, and, but they're missing out. You know the discipline it takes and ultimately the rewarding feeling of actually accomplishing something that was harder than just you know putting a scope on something and pulling the trigger and that's and that's why that's one of the reasons why i i focus on paying it forward and trying to teach people because i want to take some of the uh, uh intimidation out of it and with a lot of the pro shops kind of like going away you know um try to help them become more efficient at shooting compound bows that is that is the way to do it and so is that kind of the inspiration why you built and designed your app well actually i did some competitive well let, let me even back up a little bit i told you about the duck and goose hunting correct uh we we've done that for years and, and my dad used to bring a camcorder out um and get some great goose hunts on on video um and then as i got older i bought a little camcorder and, and i told my buddies i said hey we're getting older uh memories fade let's capture these hunts on tape and watch them and we've done that we've watched hunts from 20 years ago over and over again so what i was actually going to do i was actually going to start a, a hunting show called shooting time theme song everything man it was all laid out we're going to do it on local uh, cable um this is before the hunting shows were what they are now and that show fell through but i bought the domain name so instead of having that website for the hunting show i decided to um in 2006 i started competitive archery it really went down the rabbit hole on tuning, you know, with a lot of help from the members of my Juliet Archery Club and whatnot. Um, I've learned, learned a lot, uh, increased my knowledge a lot. And I decided I, I would end up going to the range for a 10 minute tune up job on my own bow, but I'd end up staying there for an hour, two hours, helping other people fixing their equipment because some of the local pro shops kind of were a little bit subpar with their installs and whatnot and at some point I'm like man I really need to put my knowledge in one place and then give the people the URL and then if they need any additional help they, they by all means call me email me or whatever so I put all the information on shootingtime.com kind of pay it forward site to help people with their uh, um, archery equipment and next thing i know i was getting a lot of good traffic so i'm like wow so i kept building more content and whatnot one point the web became flooded with affiliate websites guys just i mean if you search it now it's pretty much i mean if you search a product now you're going to see a bunch of affiliate sites and i get it guys are trying to get the commission the four percent from a amazon but it kind of took away from the um the real good websites it took some of the traffic away so seeing that my traffic was declining I'm like, man, if I knew how to do apps, I'd put all this stuff, organize the way I wanted, I'd put it in one app. Well, I was at a buddy, my buddy TJ's house this one night, just to have a couple beers and some pizza, and his buddy Matt Rundy was there, and we were just playing cards or whatever, and got to talking about work, and lo and behold, he does apps for a living. Well, you know where the conversation went next. True. And uh, he was he was all about it man he's like yeah let's let's do it he he, he drew out kind of like the way it flowed with the content and the servers and all this stuff and 
kind of broke it down to where I could understand it, and uh, we, we, we made an agreement to go for it. It was a long process, but he, he's my only developer, and I'm, I'm the main content guy, and between me and him, we made it a reality. We, it was uh, the beginning of 2020 is when it first hit, hit, hit the app stores, and it's been, uh, it's been a journey, and it continues to be. That's fantastic. So that's really neat. So when you went through all this, when you brainstormed everything from the bow specs, the tools, installation, and such, is that just based off of your own skill set experiences that you've developed over the years? Yeah, the majority is from what I learned from old timers and just talking to people, maybe online, I picked up some things. But there are some people who I uh, uh, talk to for quality control and uh, brainstorming as far as, um, you know, like the outline of it. Eric Newman from Texas is, uh, is a big one. He's, uh, you talk about a guy that does a lot of testing, it's Eric. And we would talk about the uh, finer things with tuning throughout the years. And he, he was there for me if I ever had to run something by him, especially like the bow tuning timeline. That's something that you really want to get right. So he was a big help in that. And I ran it by others. And I ran it by um, archers who were just getting in. Because I, I want it to be easily consumed by new guys, by guys that have been in and hunting for years. So I had a lot of feedback. And then in the early days, we did beta testing. And we had you know a good group of guys that tried it out and gave us feedback on all the different features. And as the years have gone by, you know, I've thought of other neat little features. You mentioned the uh, the, sta- the stabilizer wizard. Yeah, just a, just a moment ago when we were when you were setting up here, I was looking at this like that was actually quite a, a unique aspect to have when it comes down to stabilizer because you got the V bar balance, you have back and front, and the nice thing is you you when you're looking at the app, you can really see a really good d- depiction of a bow. So basically instead of like a, a target bow, it's like, like a, a safari from Matthews or something like that. And you have it all set up where you have L1, L2. So you got your inches there for your for your di- for your back bar, your front bar, and then you have your ounces and stuff like that. And you can change all of that. And it's like, you can start playing around with it. Like this is actually pretty neat. It gives you the idea of your BFG and such and, you, and how many total ounces you have. So it's like, you can really fine tune that down to something and actually store that information. Cause I see that you have like a uh, old floppy disc. So this way you can save that information down. So this way, if you're building more than one bow, you have specs to go. You use one bow and you have it set up for 3D or spots, and then you have it for hunting. So now you have all the stuff already set up. So this way, then we're, we get busy. And as we get older, we start forgetting things. And it's like a good way to come back and find that stored information. And I was looking through it too. You actually have really good videos. Like I was looking, I was just kind of cruising through like arrow selection shaft. You open it up, it takes you off the app though. And then it brings you to a four minute video. And it really brings down, breaks down the arrow shafts, the online shaft selector, arrow program. And it's like, that's really intuitive to have, especially for a layman like myself. The, the stabilizer wizard. So I, I, I love competitive archery. I, you know, I love shooting spots, 3D field archery and whatnot. I'm chasing that perfect Vegas round. I would love to shoot a 300 and be able to put it on the wall. Trust me. <laughs> um, and as well as perfect 300 for the NFAA. I think my highest is 58X, you know, 300. But one thing that you find if you're an amateur, uh, getting into the competitive archery is the setups and i plan on adding to this for people that want to get into competitive archery to kind of walk them through kind of like the competitive archery for dummies how to get started and the different stabilizers that's reps, me man I'm, I'm i'm struggling with it i'm still learning oh. though I, but i ask i ask a lot of different people and people that i respect that shoot like like there's a guy that it's i can't remember his name is owen this kid's 17 years old he's shooting 58 x 60x all over the place and i really like to pick his brain and like i've i've shot with him and i've shot against him and it's just a fun just to see his whole thought process his whole shot process on top of that 
But here, here's here's the thing. So I mean, you you go out and you get the Reckoning thirty nine or the you know I had the TRX seven you saw in that that picture. Yes. Um, and then you get the stabilizers. You know, front bar, back bar, V bar. You get the fancy sight. You got to talk about clarifiers, lenses, what, how much weight to put on the bar. So it's a struggle. It, if you ever go to an indoor range and you're, you're trying to just get better and better and better, you shoot, you tweak, you shoot, you tweak. And at some point, fatigue sets in, but you keep shooting because you're stubborn and you don't yeah. realize that the fatigue is actually working against you. And you may have been like real close to being right there, but since you're stubborn, you keep going you keep adjusting more the whole thing about the stabilizer wizard is that balance from grip percentage so i i coined that phrase and it, it uses a calculator you you set up your bars the way that you want it doesn't have to be balanced it doesn't have to be perfect it could okay. be front heavy it could be back heavy um, but you find out what's right for you and then you input that data and that's going to give your balance from grip percentage now the thing is one of the things that a lot of guys like I will do and say, hey, well, I shoot better with more weight on the bars. So that's when you lock your balance from grip percentage and you're going to adjust the weight on the bar and it's going to auto magically adjust both the front and the back. So that will should keep that perfect feel perfect. And then if you have a V bar, um, you take that back weight and then you, you would have already put what you have on your left and your right. That'll give you your lean percentage. You lock that, and if you had just adjusted your total rig weight higher, you know, to a higher weight, then you just lock that lean percentage and you raise, you slide slide the slider, and then that will tell you exactly what to put on both, you know, your V-bars. And the idea is to keep a, keep that feel the same and to, lem to eliminate wasted shots because as you get older i've been road hard put away wet like like you said my my, my shoulder's been worked on a couple times i can't afford to be wasting shots at the range so i i want to make my shots count so that's that's the main reason for for that one that's a good tool though yeah that makes actually makes a lot of sense because i was shooting this weekend just kind of getting because i put in uh well, I switched to upgrade to the PS23s from Black Eagle. Put a nose peep or nose button on there because it's like I, I've, I've always been pretty consistent in my shot process. But maybe just having that one extra, I had a little kisser button. And well, I have a mustache. I can't feel it. So it's like, that's kind of dumb. Now I'll just, I have it. I'm going to put it on my daughter's bow. So this way then she can have that to develop that consistency and such. I was like, I didn't realize how heavy my draw cycle was. It was like sitting at uh, 21 pounds. For draw, it's like, and that's only seventy percent let off. And it's like that's a lot of weight. It's like that that's, really adds up quickly. Are Are you saying that that's your holding weight? So that's, yeah, that's my holding that, full draw. Yeah, that's my holding yeah, weight. That's it, like it, that was a bit much. It's It's amazing that a lot of them professional shooters are eighteen to twenty two pounds. I mean, some of them little wiry guys too. I mean, it It, it just amazes me. But I'm I'm going to tell you one thing, and I'm I don't benefit from this at all. I'm I'm, I'm not on commission best thing i ever did jeff and if this is something that you want to accept or get better at get down to fly into atlanta make the 40 minute drive to snellville georgia george riles and have a one-on-one -on -one. i wish i'd have done that 10 15 years ago because let me tell you maybe i wouldn't have had as many shoulder issues or let's just say that my shoulder issues wouldn't have hurt as much i'm i'm a broad shoulder guy mm -hmm. but i stand at about you know five nine five ten I always saw it with the wingspan divided by two and a half, you know, 28.8, maybe 29 inches, somewhere around there. 
And I drew it back and I shot, I was binding hard into it and I felt like I was stable and I, was sh I thought I was shooting good, but this shoulder never settled down in, into place and I was fighting it. And then as my shoulder got worse from whether sports or from work, um, that just made it even worse. I go down to see George. First thing he does is he's like, go ahead, uh, take, take a couple shots here. I'm gonna watch you. So I, I'm like, all right. So I started shooting. He's like, what's your draw like that? I'm like, uh, I think I got a D mod on, maybe 28 and a half. He's like, way too short, way too short. He took me over to the wall, and he, he has a way, which I'm actually going to up, update the app. He has you just do a fist against the wall and turn, and he measures to like here. He's like, you're about 30 and 7 eighths of a draw. No I'm kidding. Like, really? So I put my A mod on, and he, he's like, watch this. I, I drew back. He's like, you feel that shoulder come down? I'm like, ah, George, I do. He's like, that's what you need to be. And he said, you could even be longer because I was at a 30. So right now I'm probably at about 31. But a, a, a lot of your your body's makeup, like I'm wide shoulder, that comes into play because I'm out here further because this shoulder's a little wider this way. If I even do a wingspan against somebody taller, sometimes my wingspan's close but to, to that taller person. But it's, it's, it's amazing what a good coach can do and how much pain and destruction he could save your body. And I think it was a hundred bucks. And I, I got more than an hour from him. Man, I can't wait to go again, because that is worth it. It's the best hundred bucks I ever spent. Um, so if you can, man, get down there. He's one of the world's best compound archer coaches, without a doubt. Man, that'd be an amazing conversation to have, because he's, how old is he? Oh, I I don't know, upper 40s, lower 50s. Oh, okay. I, thought... I, think shoot, I think he shoots a senior division, so he's got to be over 50 then. But Okay, uh, I was like, I'll be a, I was a little scared. It's like, man, if he's in his 60s or 70s, that type of knowledge is going to be priceless. Oh, I mean, it's priceless. history. Yeah, it, it, it's priceless at, any, priceless at any age he is. Yeah, it, yeah, just, no just, just, the, just the way that he teaches it, too. And man, oh, man, I'm telling you. So, I mean, getting into the app a little bit further, in the future – um, I talked to George at the Archery Trade Association show, and okay. uh, we're 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 going to talk about maybe doing like a coach's corner and giving him some real estate there on the app because what he has can really help people out, and that that's that's what it's about, not only making better and more accurate competitive archers, but hunters as well. Because if if you get good at hitting a bullseye at twenty or on the three hitting a twelve ring on the three D course, then guess what? You're you're going to be better out in the woods too. That's that's one component of hunting, and if you master that, then you can't. With with the app, you'll no longer be able to blame the equipment. With coaching, like from George, you're not going to be able to blame the technique. It's going to come down to execution and strategy. Jeremy was telling me that I would actually there's there's a couple times he watched me where I was actually preemptively thinking like subconsciously, not even knowing I'm doing it, is that I'm pulling my pulling away from the peep and looking up and it's like it, and watch this like you as soon as you stop doing this, it's like as soon as I as soon as I actually focused on it and pay attention, I pinwheel to twelve. It's like there there it is right there. It's like I, I gotta think mentally, put that thought process ahead. So when I do draw it and I do release, I just need to make sure I just stay focused through the pin and watch that arrow hit and it's like every time i would pull like even begin to slip away i'd watch it go up and to the left and it's like it's always been it's always plagued me for all these years and now i kind of see like having a second person provide that insight it's like okay i see what i'm doing i need to i need to step up my game and actually put that for that energy forward you could send george a target face and yeah he'll be 99 percent spot on with what's wrong with your stuff but i mean 
so when when I was younger, I I used to watch videos of Real Wild uh, Dave Cousins. I used to watch them shoot, watch them shoot. Right. How long did it take him to get the shot off? How are they anchoring? You don't want to watch Real too much because he he's like he's way back. Yeah, he's he's kind of like a freak show when it comes to that. But uh, I mean, these days, Jesse Broadwater. I mean, come on to watch that guy. He's as cool as the other side of the pillow when he's shooting. I mean, he, he's just so smooth and bam, you know, call him the freak show for a reason. But watching those guys and trying to mirror what they do is great. And it's good to try to uh, match what you're seeing. But getting in, getting in front of a, an accomplished archer, whether it be someone at your local club that's been around for a while, or like I said, getting down to see George at the Archery Learning Center, that's going to, ex- like my app expedites the learning process for tuning that's going to expedite your, your shooting form big time. And I mean, time is the one thing that we can't get back. So everybody complains about money and hey, it's too much money and this and that. How much, how much is your time worth? Like I said, if I could have saw George 10 years ago, it saved me a lot of heartache and soreness in the shoulder. That is uh, right on the money because you do have – okay, so you, I can tell you have Eric Newman, Tim Gillingham, uh, Nick Cappers, and Will uh... – how you pronounce it? Drahan. Drahan, okay. Drahan. That's a really cool one, man, if you're a hunter. He's been a whitetail consultant for people who own little pieces of land for a while. It, it was good to hear him you know, spew out his knowledge on what he's seen and learned throughout the years. But, yeah, those podcasts are pretty cool. Um, they're they're in, in-app only. I like to keep it in there. It's, it, it's an incentive for people to get the app. Newman, we went down the rabbit hole on a lot of things. Gillingham, he's phenomenal to listen to. He's never shy on words, but the things he says, man, I mean, you got to listen, you know. And then Cappers, he's one hell of a shot. He won Lancaster last year. Real nice guy, too. So looking to add some more this year. Definitely going to get Riles on there and a few other guys. That would be wise to do just to continue building that that value to it, to, especially to pick their brains because the Tim Gillingham podcast is two hours long. And, and uh, actually learning more about him this past weekend is kind of an eye-opening. Because like, he's the one that came with Hamski, right? He's the one that, that uh, helped design the Hamski drop away. Yeah, um, his his nickname's The Hammer. I think Hammer, yeah. that's where the – I think that's where the first part of it – I may have misspoke there, but yeah, he he, he was definitely part of that. Um, but he he's been with Gold Tip for as long as I know, and you know he's one of the best am- ambassadors of Bowtech, along with Kyle Douglas and Paige Pierce now. But I mean, and not not only does he talk the talk, Tim walks the walk too. I mean, he, he he's a very accomplished hunter. There's many great debates online these days about setup and arrow weights and you know trajectory, and I definitely got my opinion on all that. But guys like Tim does too. Um, of course, he's shooting a 45-inch draw length and shooting, you know, 800 feet per second. No, I'm just kidding about that. Yeah, but I, mean, I didn't think it's like 45-inch draw length. It's like he's got to have some really yeah. long arms. He dra- he dra- drags the old knuckles, man. He, he's got some long arms. But I mean, he he is at a, probably at about 33, 33-inch okay. draw and. He's shooting a real fast hero, but uh, taking information from guys like Tim and guys like Joel Maxfield too. Um, okay. I don't know if you know who Joel is. Does I've not I've not heard of him before. Search YouTube, type in Matthews Archery Joel. So Joel has been with Matt McPherson, I believe, since Matt was out, out of his garage. You know, that's that's the owner of Matthews. Yes, yes. And uh, like he's been like fifteen with, minutes away. Oh yeah. yeah, okay. So he's he's been with them for a long time, and he I think he just completed the Super Slam uh, within the last year or two. Well, this guy is a killer, and he, he he's an accomplished uh, 
competitive archer also, but he goes on and gets it done. He's put everything on the ground. I mean, you you name it. I mean, the Super Slam. I mean, look up Super Slam. He's 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 done it. Yeah, you and, type in Joel Maxfield, and it's like you, you're just seeing just tons and tons of videos, and it's like, and plus it's uh, Matthews is filming it also. It's gonna be really high quality. It's like some of his videos are hundred thousand easy views on it stuff like that it's like that's really impressive but when you watch the videos like these are really good they do oh, they spend a lot of time and energy creating that really good content yeah the one that matthews did for joel super high quality um just like a lot of things that come out of matthews uh, shop but that goes to show you how important he is uh to the industry and to matthews for them to just title it joel and to show his story and and i've met him at the show a couple of times super nice guy talk to you in pms he will he will try to help people i've seen him battle 20 year olds that are drunk off the kool-aid joe will come in and say hey you might want to consider this i see, I see what you're saying and joe will show some of his experiences and try to give him some knowledge I mean, this is a guy that's been around and done everything I've, I've killed a lot of deer this guy's killed a lot of deer and a lot of everything else but you see these young guys just think they're you know internet wizards and think they know it all and it, it's when I see somebody arguing with a guy like Joel, I click on their profile picture, and I'm like, I bet I don't see a gray hair on that person's head, sh sure enough. But, I mean, we were all young and cocky at one point, too. But it, it, it just goes to show you how, how good of a guy Joel is to uh, actually get into the conversation with these young guys. I think a lot of guys need to know who he is and show that respect and take what he says to heart because if you hunt, you should because he's been there, he's done that good guy to know and, and he's done some unbelievable experiments have you ever seen his experiments what what is he what has he done or what has he tried out oh the whole uh kinetic energy uh versus momentum debate strategy out in the field tighter pins uh, uh point of impact when you're uh aiming on a deer moose caribou elk whatever and he's got his reasons I was just in, engaged with a little uh, conversation online because, uh, you know, this uh, certain person uh, was put something up from Field and Stream. Some guy uh, wrote an article about the Vital V. The okay. Vital V is kind of front leg of a deer or an elk. The bones will make like a V. That's kind of at the heart and a little forward. And they say, oh, you hit it right in this triangle. That's the best spot to aim at. Well, guys like me and Joel, we will disagree. Um, we say behind the front leg, behind that crease, that's your highest percentage of recovery. You're at the you're at the upper. If the deer is facing to the left, you're at the upper right junction of the lung and the hearts. But you have room for error. If you miss forward, you're still going to get them. If you miss back, you're still getting lungs high, low, low. You might you know get the heart. But it's the highest percentage. Now, let's say if you do aim too far forward and you miss a little bit forward, now you're getting into the humerus. And if you look behind the shoulder of an animal, there's not much rib rib cage up there. You're, you're, the amount of vitals up there, there's not much. The elk I killed uh, out in Utah, um, I hit it a little forward because things happened on the field. He came in. I, I, I ranged him at 35. It was the first elk I ever killed. My heart was racing like a lab rat. I had him at 35, he started walking. I don't have time to range now. I got bow in hand. I'm shaking, I draw back, he stops. I was aiming for right behind the uh, front leg, but it hit a little forward. Missed the bone, 
he was dead in 14 seconds. He didn't go far. He, he, he piled up. But I was lucky I didn't hit that bone. I don't care what weight you're shooting, what broadhead, you don't want to hit, hit the bone. And then I actually have the pictures of the, uh, the split open carcass, like the rib cage. You can see where my arrow went through. There's only two ribs in front of it. There's not much up there. So that's why aiming behind that front leg and beating the animal's reaction are the most important things. Because if you're, if you're not shooting at an animal, let's say if the animal is alerted to you, if he's not within your effective uh, yardage, then he's going to react and beat, beat the arrow. He's going to drop and he's going to bound forward. And that's, that's what a lot of guys are, are, are coming to find out. Now, you hear about the Plan B arrow success stories. When I say Plan B, this is the, 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 the fad of the heavy, super heavy, heavy arrow. And that normally translates into a slower arrow. And when you're shooting slower, if the animal's not alerted to you, that's one thing. Now, the heavier arrow is going to absorb more energy. Your bow's going to be a little, a little bit more efficient and may, may be quieter. But you still have the sound of the shot. They will hear it. you got the movement of the shot. And if they're alerted and facing you, they're going to react. The first thing they're going to do is load up on the legs. And do that by dropping. And then the easiest way to move for them is forward at breakneck speeds. So... I don't know if you've experienced it, but I sure as hell have, especially with the amount of deer that I've killed. I've, I've stopped them and shot at them when they were too far, and they've reacted, and, and I've, I've got them in the liver. I've got them in the guts. I've lucked out, got them in the femoral sometimes. Sometimes I haven't. Sometimes I've, I've, I've lost here. But the one thing I learned through time was that for the speeds that I shoot, and I try to be 300 to 310 feet per second. That's coming out of a 70-pound bow. And I know Aeroflight's paramount. And if I could put it where I want to, and my bow is tuned, at those speeds, if the animal, I don't care if there's a buck on a doe, I can stop him at 35 yards and closer, and I will beat his reaction. I will beat it. If he's beyond that, it's, it's, it's really a toss-up. Depends if his ears are forward. Sometimes he'll turn him back. You know, there may be other d distractions. But on average, I, I, it's a good rule of thumb. And this is another tool in the app. It's the effective yardage calculator. It's the last tool. And I made that because I wanted people to be able to input their uh, arrow speed to give them an idea. Because uh, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier. You hear a lot about these Plan B success stories, but you never hear about the failures. Nobody wants to brag up that they missed or lost one because of an improperly placed shot or the deer reacted. But I bet, I mean, that's happening more than you'll ever know. Uh, when these guys are shooting these super slow speeds, there's absolutely a fine there, there's a fine balance though. I mean, you can't be too light, and but you can't be too slow. You want trajectory, you want tighter pins. If there's a, a yardage estimation error, or like with that elk I shot, I I ranged him at 35. I didn't have a guy sitting over my shoulder calling out yardages. I knew he was 35. Then where he was when I saw him, he was more like 38. I was still in there. I was still in the vitals, though. Um, and had I been shooting a heavy, heavy, heavy arrow, I, I would not have got him. It would have dropped out. Yeah, because I'm looking at the arrow speed, and I'm playing around with it. And it's like, and it's amazing when you start getting that arrow speed rally around that, that 200 FPS. It's like you got to get them sub 20. 20 yards. 
Yeah, so yeah, it's like seven, 16 to 17. It's like it's amazing how fast that changes. And when you start getting up to like that 310, 315, now you can start having that 30 yard range right there. But man, that's that does play a big role in actually putting that forward thought into it. So it's like I'm actually spend some time behind a chronograph and see where my arrow where my arrow speeds at so this way I can figure out where what my effective range is with the bow I'm shooting. Yeah, and, and that and that formula that, that, that I use takes the speed of sound into account, the speed of your arrow, and then the average reaction time. And if you look at that tool, the average reaction time is adjustable. I see that, yes. It's it's at a, quor- a quarter of a second. And for Midwestern whitetails, I think that's pretty spot on. Now, you get down south to where they may be more jittery. Um, yeah, it's a lot of feeder. I primarily feeder hunting down there. But if you get into some areas maybe in hawaii whatever that that deer is out there if the animals you know more prone to react faster you can adjust that and find out what makes sense based off your past experiences and then you got something to go off of there but for white-tailed deer quarter of a second is pretty spot on elk also let me tell you something about elk first elk i ever shot at i clipped its hams uh we were out in utah and we were practicing daily out to 70 yards and hidden hidden very well and the guys who were in camp before us said we have not seen an elk well the first day we were out there it was my brother and i in a ground blind and i've never really hung out of ground blinds much for deer but we were and there was a montana decoy of a, a cow elk right next to us and and a spike kind of got spooked and we, when he entered this field so he was going from right he was going from left to right. When he entered the field, first thing I thought was, oh my God, he's a dinosaur, he's huge. Elk are big animals. And for a Midwestern guy, I'm like, oh, wow. But he came across and because I'm older than my brother, I'm like, I get first shot. So he, <laughs> he actually stopped at 72 yards, but he was looking at us. And I didn't know if he made out the blind or he, he was seeing the uh, decoy. So knowing what the California guys said, not seeing anything and having him right there and me knowing I could hit at 70, Man, I drew back, I got my bubble level, I got it right on him, and I pulled that trigger, and that arrow took off, straight as can be. That big dinosaur reacted, I clipped its 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 hams. Okay. I mean, I'm like, damn, I shouldn't I should not have taken that shot, man. I was a little disappointed in myself, but I I, I didn't know if the blind would contain the shot, if 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 the decoy was what he was looking at. So it was kind of a toss-up. That toss-up turned into a lesson, and a lesson I take forward with me. Won't won't do it again. Effective yardage works for elk too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, what is the reaction time on him? Is it is right around that quarter of a second too for like similar to whitetails, or is it a, bit, a little bit slower, a little bit faster? So this way, somebody's playing with the effective yardage with it because I don't see any any um, guides or anything like that based off like a speed goat or an access deer that's what the one you were talking about yeah you know if, if I if I had a, if I had experience with speed goats antelope or access deer I would have had as many years after them as I do whitetail I'd probably have a good idea and I, I definitely put that in there um, I suppose I could study the videos and kind of See, the, with them tools also, there should be a little info thing where you could click on it. Um, it's not as user, I, not user, maybe user-friendly is not the word. Maybe it's not plain to see, but there is the ability to put texts and images um, to explain things a little bit better. Um, so that's actually a good suggestion. I'm going to take that as a suggestion to maybe 
talk to some guys or to look at some videos and study and see how much quicker a speed goat is com compared to a whitetail. Um, but as far as whitetail go, that's that's what I I have seen and when the calculator was done and we, and we slid the speeds and we saw the yardage and said, I'm like, ah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's pretty close. You know, it, it, it's just something to grab people's attention and to think about it because uh, whether you're, you know, like, like I said before, drunk on the Kool-Aid or whatever, that's fine. What's going to teach you is experience out in the field. It could be heartbreaking lessons too um, to where I'm actually trying to save people the heartache of finding out the hard way. But some people have got to find out the hard way. Yeah, it's definitely something for people to look at and to study and maybe put into use. There's a gentleman in uh, Hudson, Wisconsin. His name is Paul Korn. He's got a heck of a YouTube channel, but he's been, he's got a, a trophy room that's that's nothing compared to anybody else I've ever seen. Absolutely massive. I mean, he's got elephant, he's got giraffe, he's got every, and he's he's a modern day uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. He's got everything under his belt, and he would be a good person to to pick his brain. He's a guy that I, I've been chasing to be on my podcast for the last couple of years, but he's a very busy man because he also has a uh, outfitters down there in uh, Missouri too. So he's got a he's been pretty busy, but he's also spent a lot, spent a lot of time with his dad and his brother stuff like that because his dad's not he's he's up there in the seventies stuff like that, so he wants to spend as much time as he can with them he would be a guy to actually pick his brain about because he's had a lot of experience with interacting with those animals. Then if you ever decide to go and talk to somebody overseas over in Africa, well, then you just go, you just find yourself a, a reputable uh, pH and go from there. Professional yeah. hunter for those who don't know what pH stands for, but that'd be the next best thing is like somebody that's seizes on the daily. That'd be definitely cool to do and put, put that in the write up. The nice thing is like, especially if you get somebody that's from, from overseas or like you can be able to pick their brain, that'd be like a podcast or a video or, or something like that to recapture that knowledge for it. So this way then you can have this as, as either a clippable sound and if they're willing to, do a simple write-up for it. Like, this is my experience on such, such date. This is what we went through or something like that. And there's a lot of these guys out there that also record their hunts as well. Be able to provide you, hopefully, the the release and stuff like that. I was watching um, some of uh, Aerodynamics. That's the previous company's name, that was, you know, which is now called Veteran Innovator Products. They were they had their guillotine out there, and they were over there in Africa testing out on giraffe or not or not giraffes, but uh, ostriches, and seeing the cutting power of it. It's like that's quite impressive because I've seen uh, them take off quite a few heads of the ostriches, and it's like nearly knops them completely off. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, that's a great company. I, yeah, I've met Matt before at the show, and uh, he comes out with some pretty slick broadheads there. But the but the thing the thing you were saying also is like uh, talking to these other uh, professional hunters or guys that. Uh, You've got a ton more experience than you or I, um, yeah. and maybe even adding something to the uh, ballistic uh, data tool. So that's going to tell you your estimated arrow speed, kinetic energy, momentum. And to have a little bit of a chart um, saying, if you're going to hunt for this, we would recommend this kinetic energy and whatnot, because that's, that's the whole wild card is um, at what point do you go away from a mechanical and go to a fixed at what kinetic energy at what draw weight is a part of that figure for for me for for, for whitetail uh, hitting where i tend to hit them um i shoot 70 pounds i shoot a mechanical i shot a 393 grain arrow no problems for elk i shoot the same arrow 393 i've shot in the 400s that's fine but when i go for elk i shoot a fixed blade the spike i killed was with a G5, I want to say striker, four blade, 
and and it's a vented uh, broadhead. And that thing, I'll tell you what, man, that thing is accurate. I shot three broadheads, and that one, I even took a video out in Utah, and it may have been luck, but uh, I had my buddy rolling tape. I'm like, just got off the plane. We're out in Utah. I noticed that my sight was off. I don't know if it's the air out here or rough handling of the bow or whatever, but I sighted it in, you know, out to 40, 50 yards. Just for the heck of it, I'm going to take a shot at 100. And I did it with that striker broadhead. And if I didn't hit just three inches high of the, the bullseye, I was like, cut. That's it. That's a wrap. Let's go get a beer. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. For first take now would 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 that happen again at a hundred yards your pin takes up the whole damn target pretty much you know but it looked good on tape <laughs> but it did because there's only you know CBE has one and also HJ has one where it has a a multi pin opportunity but you also could scale it out to where you can actually shoot to 120 130 yards and in a control and setting and such and. Not have to worry about trying to pin gap it or try to just guesstimate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the the old days of holding your 60, uh, 20 yards above the target to shoot for 80. Been there, done that. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking of a hybrid site, and I actually have the uh, Spot Hog Fast Eddie, um, and that's the same thing. So I, it's a, I got a, there's a five pin on there, and then my 60 becomes the floater. Um, and I could shoot out to like 110. So that's that's awesome. I didn't come from a lot of money, so I bought a spot hog like back in the day, like a five pin. I'm like, yep, this is it. Pow nails with this thing. I'm gonna get 25 years out of it. Well, I still got them. They are really built well. But I, I come to realize that, you know, like the, I, I had the CBE hybrid, um, they called it. That's maybe one of the ones you're talking about. And I'm like, this is phenomenal to have that flexibility. I made the mistake of buying the three pin at first. Then I got the five pin because I like them five pins and then to have the 60 yard pin being your floater is phenomenal. Now the spot hog, it's just, you're taking the quality of the spot hog and you're having that ability. Plus it's got a nice dial to do a quick set. So that's really awesome. The CBE, I had a problem with the, uh, the screws coming loose. And I don't know if it's the screws they use, if it was uh, no Loctite, or like maybe use a blue Loctite. So that's also a lesson that I learned before you go out, crank everything down. Yeah, so I mean, it's important. I mean, for anybody listening to this, go out and make the mistakes, but learn from them. And then never make them mistakes again. And then learn from other people's mistakes, you know, if you can, and try to dial your game in. But that's that's what I learned from that CBE. But both that and Spot Hog were great hybrid sites and i love them yeah because uh hj released their rise uh this past year and it's a two pin and then as you you set your 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 initial pin for 20 and 60 and that will sight in your your second pin and then that will get you out to 130 out to 100 like i believe one guy's been able to shoot out to 140 with that setup but i also know that uh, spotted hog has a similar concept too but at least spotted hog released there like a year or two years prior to and then to hj rise but as you can tell it's like it's i have to mention them at least a couple times <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. i'm gonna have to get my hands on some of their sites i'll, I'll do a product review and maybe get it in the app but, no, that's I, actually I, pretty pretty smart because I know Chris is very supportive and like offering that type of feedback is like the more the more irons in the fire it's just gonna make everybody sharper and it's like he wants to have that type of feedback to to provide that value to anybody. Yeah, and you know I I, I kid about that. I I used to really go after getting stuff to review, but anymore these days, I mean it's it's a trade of labor. 
I, I do extensive video, I do charts, I do write-ups, and then if I get a, give them a product spotlight in the app, you know, my, my buddies might come over and see that I got this free bow or this free uh, spotting scope or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it's it was free, but this is what it cost me. And then I go over everything I had to do. So I mean, it might be three or four days worth of work and data collection and video and all that stuff. Um, all for uh, helping people get exposure, especially good American companies. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants exposure, they're more than free to reach out to me. Um, if I don't have a lot in the pipeline, I, I do the product reviews and every review I've ever done has ended up on Google's first results page. I mean, that's Hall of Fame stats, that's bad in a thousand. Mm -hmm. But that's allowed me to have great relationships with manufacturers like Leupold, uh, Last Chance Archery, um, you know, even like Matthews, Bowtech, Elite Prime. I mean, you know, it's it's of value and it helps me out too. So, always willing to do that if if time allows for it. That yeah. is so true, man. Like last year, or just last week, I recorded a podcast on. Well, I recorded three podcasts technically, but I recorded one on Monday, and and then I recorded another one on Thursday, going both live, but also releasing the audio almost as quickly as possible and the amount of work that i had to spend into it i tell people usually takes me for every 10 minutes a conversation goes it's about an hour's worth of energy to go through it because i have to go through and find this small gaps slim down or if somebody is prone to saying ums or ahs frequently that i try to remove as many as i possibly can to maintain that flow and then tweak it so this way the audio sounds good because i go in with the mindset of that i want the podcast to be heard over the roar of a diesel engine and that and if you could do that then everything is just downhill from there because then if you're listening through your bluetooth uh headset your regular mic regular headset like i'm right now you're able to you're gonna be able to adjust that volume the way it is but that's usually why the forward thing i want to put into the podcast but that takes time and it takes a lot of energy to do it so i completely respect those that do really well with doing a review or an edit because I understand the pains behind it because I'm learning Adobe right now, and that's a that's an animal in itself. That's a beast. Yeah, I've been I spent so much time in Premiere, Photoshop these last couple of days. I I came out with some products called Pro Pens. Yeah, we, we, you and I talked about that a few months a few about a month back. Yeah, these these things are doing pretty decent. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna get them some more exposure. Um, it's patent pending. Also, it's, it's got magnets that lock, lock them in. You throw this right in your shooting bag or your case, this can go on your belt. I did a video on these, like a 30-second video that uh, I'm going to give to Lancaster, and hopefully they, they will put that on their social media, and I'll, I'll share it as well. But the amount of time it takes to take the video, edit the video, um, get the sound clips, a little uh, little note I'll pass forward to you. Um, Adobe Stock, you know, I'm like, you know, I need some cool music. So I went to Adobe Stock because I got the Adobe uh, Creative Cloud. It gets all the apps. So I thought stock was free. I downloaded some uh, audio clips, like some songs to use as a background. Okay. Did all the editing, timed everything with the beats. Like I'm a couple hours into this. I hit export. It says, hey, you have unlicensed audio. You need to pay for Adobe Stock. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So after uh, a talk with India, um, with Adobe, I ended up getting just like, you know, the free trial, you get free trial for a month and you get 10 licenses. So signed up for that, licensed them, canceled, because otherwise they want 30 bucks. Just a heads up to you, 30 bucks to use their Adobe stock. That's out of my tax bracket once more. Yeah, I use um, free MP3 
It's a free website where you can do a whole bunch of stuff like that. It's actually a really good website. They have, they have different themes you can use. The only really? thing they recommend you do is that you use their um, – they have a little – actually, on the, the clip, they tell you like the, what they need to have inside – the, your post so this way then then it just gives it gives the website credit gives you author and the artist credit for it so this way then and it's completely free they're just like they like this exposure for it what's the uh, name of that again uh let me grab it here it is uh it's www.free-stock-music.com and you just cool. go to that website and, and it tells you exactly what you what they want to have on it for for the the license for it to be able to do it. And I've been using these guys ever since I started the podcast. And I grab little snippets and put it to the. They have orchestra, they have fantasy, they have techno, they have rock, they have pop. They have a whole bunch. There's a lot of talented uh, artists out there that donated. It's like their music library. It's very extensive. That's nice. Uh, Connor from Serious Archery, I don't know if you know Seth Poston and uh, those guys over there at Serious Archery, um, but he was telling me about Soundstripe. Soundstripe is another one that's got a lot of good uh, sound effects, uh, audio files, whether they're songs or not, and I think it's like 10 bucks a month. So that's that's more of my price range right there. I'm probably going to subscribe to that. But, Definitely. Uh, yeah, but take cool. a gander through through uh, freestockmusic.com, see what you come around with, because that's even better in your price rock price bracket because that's even freer. All you do is just copy. They have a like I said, once you download, they tell you what you need to have in the body of the post, or if you're on YouTube or whatever, just kind of. And you can I always put it at the very very bottom because nobody reads it, but it's like this way if they happen to see it. I haven't got yelled at from YouTube, so that's one better. That's one. Gotcha. So that's why I do it. Right on, right on. So what do you have in store for the future for the app and yourself? Well, the, 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 the app is pretty deep right now with content. It's got a lot in it. Um, we are adding more content as the days go by. Um, we just got the uh, Botech Reckoning 39 Gen 2. Okay. That has the uh, uh, deadlock timing. So uh, I'm going to add that to the tuning section. There will be a bow spotlight of the Reckoning 39 Gen 2 coming up. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know the bow right now. I'm not going to start writing on it and giving my opinion without uh, being through the ringer with it and shooting some ends and whatnot. Uh, so there's that. Um, possibly uh, a few more sections to the tuning. Maybe like line tuning is one thing that uh, some people have asked for. I need to update the 2023 bow specs. That's coming up. I need to uh, invest some time into trying to research more uh, string and cable lengths. So one thing that we didn't talk about with the app is the bow specs. The bow specs is a database, uh, your specs going back to the late 90s. So anytime somebody brings a bow into a shop or if you have to tune a bow, um, you need to know the, the axle to axle length, that's, that's critical. You want to get that bow back to spec. So this, you should be able to find it in the bow specs database. And like I said, uh, inactive manufacturers going back to the 90s, I mean, I've got quite a few in there. Hats off. Uh, to up and have Tony Vernocci from the archery program software, TAPS. It's an aerosuction software. He passed away, but he was a big help with me getting that database going. For some of the bows that you see in the database, there will be uh, string and cable specs. So that's not for all manufacturers. Hoyt has like three cam variations, and Prime uh, had uh, different yoke sizes for the top and bottom cam because of the different sizes of like the TRM cams. So the database would have to be altered to get those in there, and that is coming up as well. But um, I'm going to try to get uh, more of a complete collection of the string and cable lengths moving forward. The big thing right now 
is I also offer the app online at bowshotbible.com, but it is not parallel to the mobile app because up until now, and it's not live yet, but I haven't been able to take the hard work that my developer has done and put it as a web version, but we're getting really close to having that. So um, I have quite a few subscribers online, um, but they're not able to use some of the tools and the BoSpec database. So that them days are coming to an end and they're gonna have a whole new online experience soon. Also coming up is we're gonna do some more podcasts. Um, gotta love to get Joel Maxfield on, um, but George Riles would be a, a great one to have on. And uh, I got a list somewhere. Get, get some, uh, uh, a few more uh, professional shooters on. Mike Pistilli um, is uh, kind of like a semi-pro shooter. He he could be pro if time permitted. He's one of Dave Cousins' great friends, but it'd be okay. great to have him on. He's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he holds many state records where he's from, and he shot like perfect uh, field course rounds before, and not easy to do. But he's a really nice guy and uh, a, a great teacher as well. So guys like that. And then... Uh, you know, we're going to start asking more during our monthly Zoom meeting. So every third Thursday of the month at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time, we have a Zoom meeting. And for those people that download the subscription model of the app, that's a free download. You should be able to access that Zoom link in the bonus section. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing that too. It's It's got the 22 selection. Yep, there it is. Yeah, yep, 2022, you have all of that, the dates and the times for that. So you just got to update for the 2023. Okay, you know, I think the f I think I just need to update the uh, uh, file name. That's that's the way we get around the caching there. So feedback like that right there, that's what I need. Um, and I appreciate that. I'm going to fix that as soon as we're off here. But, yeah, getting on that Zoom meeting is a great time to talk shop, talk tuning, talk hunting, talk life in general, talk the app, talk about what you want to see in the app, any glitches or problems that you've had. Uh, luckily for us, we, we haven't had many glitches or any bugs with the app. Some older Android d devices uh, can get glitchy uh, when they become no longer supported. That's kind of a common thing. Plus with Android, you have one operating system over a thousand different styles of phone. Whereas Apple, you have iOS over Apple. Much more stable, much more problem free. So we're, we're looking forward to that. And then our, our partnership with Lancaster Archery, they're still uh, supportive of the app. They're going to do some social media boosts for us to get us in front of the eyes of more people. And we plan on visiting uh, some events here this year. Um, if the budget permits, I'd like to do at least the ASA in Metropolis, Illinois. Ooh, that'd be fun. And uh, I've never been to a total archery challenge, but I heard that the attendance is pretty sky high there. That's why I'm going to a MAF, and I rec that's why I asked you if you wanted to go, because mountain archery fests are similar to it, just like attack, but you're dealing with three to 400 less people, and you're not shooting for, for five minutes and staying around for another hour. Oh, right on. Yeah, I mean, things, things like that, I mean, are, are going to be great to go to, because so many people have seen the app, and, you know, I, I show them it, and they download, and they're like, why haven't I heard about this? Well, it's not super easy to get the word out. Um, you would think out of the kindness of their own heart, some big influencers would spread the word. And actually, I mean, Paige Pierce did that. Paige did, uh, she put it in, in her story on Facebook, Instagram, all that. And man, I'm like, thank you, Paige. And I think I inspired her to do some videos as well because she started doing YouTube videos. You know, and, and then like guys like Nick Munt, 
you know, from like Bone Collector, Michael Waddell, Nick Munt, T-Bone. Uh, Nick Munt, I got him a copy of the app last ATA show, and I saw him at this ATA, and I was kind of walking by. I don't want to bother people, really, you know. Once you've met him once, you know, you got the pictures. I'm, I'm pretty good, but I walked by, and he locked eyes with me. I'm like, what's he locking eyes with me for? And he's like, I still use that app. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, sweet. So then I went up to him and probably bothered him a little bit. Um, long story short is, I mean, a guy like Nick would probably put a good word out there for me because he's, he's a solid dude. So just working on the exposure this year, and ultimately that's going to help me to help other people, and it's going to help increase my budget so I could do bigger and better things. Also, I've got a new slow motion camera and a new studio here right behind me. Um, and it's all set to, as soon as my shoulder is better, I'm going to start replacing some older video and start getting some really cool video. Even awesome. like a, even like a, an uh, impact flex test with different FOCs, I'm going to show how, in my eyes, that's not a factor. The FOC with the impact flex, what that, your arrow is following the field point into the target or the animal, that creates a path that that arrow is flying straight from a well-tuned bow, you shouldn't have any. So we're gonna to try to get that on uh, slow motion, uh, you know, like upwards of 7,000 frames a second. I think it should be pretty cool. Yeah, you tell me about that here back in uh, the end of January that, or end of December. That was it's a pretty sweet up, upgrade. And I, this, just yesterday, we were at Best Buy and we were just kind of putzing around there. I was looking for a USB-C to 3.5 millimeter jack. And so I found it. And then I stumble across what they call the Zoom ProTrack P4. And this thing is run off of batteries, but I can run four mics, four headsets, and I can even actually do some programming. It's very streamlined. So it's like, I'm really looking forward to taking this out because I have uh, the board I'm currently using on. I'm going to be giving this to my buddy, Ben uh, Klausman from Sodak Horizons because he wants to start doing a podcast too, but he wants to go with like a USB mic. And it's like, you're not going to like it once you start hearing yourself. So it's like, I got this. I already have another another Behringer board that I'm already using primarily for a lot of my other stuff for traveling and such. So it's like, well, I'll just pay it for. I'll give this to him, and then I'll I'll, I'll have this bad boy right here. And it's like this is gonna be freaking sweet because it I, I can run this off at double A batteries, and then also it'll run off of these power packs. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's like this is. So I was messing around with it yesterday. So it's like I'm pretty excited about this thing here because we got Mountain Archery Fest coming up, and so a group of us are, of us are going. So it's like, hey, we're doing podcasts in the car or the truck or whatever you know. Whoever. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's like this is gonna be a fantastic little piece of equipment. And then here in a couple, I think it's next week or two weeks. I sit with Brandon. I sit down with Brandon Waddell from Mount Archery Fest. We're going to talk about his his whole um, journey on developing this fest and such and going in the whole mindset of everything he did and what it goes into developing the, his 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 actual fun festivals. You got a lot of vendors that show up and the reason why I'm only going there is because of Ben and Sodak Horizon. So it's like, I'm going to go check that out. And Where's we were, that at again? So the one, I'm, the one I'm going to is going to be in Beaver, Utah, June... 20 let's see here i think it's a i gotta i might as well bring it up on my calendar here so that will fall it's the last weekend of june that'll be the 23rd through the 25th i'm gonna all of us are gonna go out there well, we're gonna begin the drive on the 22nd and then i'm gonna probably we're all gonna come back on the 26th because it's like i want a day and i'm not gonna go back to work until the 28th because i want to i want a day of rest because if that's a lot of driving because it's from from where i'm at in the wisconsin it's still a 20-hour drive 
Oh, man. Hey, look, something I learned from an old timer. My first time out in Colorado, public land elk hunting. Yeah. The guy's like, this is what you do, kid. Get a Southwest Rapid Rewards credit card. Put everything on it. You fly out with your bow. Get a good case. Fly out with your bow. Okay. If you kill one, you run a vehicle. Then you drive it back. And then you could actually rain check your flight for 12 months. I think it goes longer than 12 months now. So I, I took that seriously. And I, I got the Rapid Rewards card. That's why I'm saying driving out there. Ugh. Because I've, I've flown out to Utah because I've gone out there three times. I went out there for a, a big game show. Uh, they, they put on a hell of a show in Salt Lake City. Hunting show, uh, lots of taxidermy, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundations out there with okay. a ton of mounts. And then I've been out there twice elk hunting. I mean, driving's fun too, I guess. But but if if you get all them points, then you just fly for free. It's $11 charge, and then you fly for free. Uh, just like a little tip. For you moving forward, man, that might even get you out west to do some uh, elk hunts or whatever. That's that I didn't I didn't know that was a feature. I know my wife and I were looking at I believe it's Southwest. It was actually has you can buy kind of like a unlimited mile card for like they were doing it for a special for something stupid cheap is like six ninety nine. Normal retail value is like one ninety nine for it or two nine or nineteen ninety nine. Excuse me for it. So over just. Just under two thousand dollars for it, but they're doing that type of a deal for it, and then you and you would say almost like a yearly subscription, but we don't fly enough to benefit from it. But I told her, I was like, well, maybe once my daughter's old enough, our daughter's old enough, and then uh, we don't have any pets. Like, let's t- we could be able to take advantage of it a little bit more, so this way we don't we don't have uh, something that we have to really compensate for. Yeah, and just just a quick little uh, note there. So um, for guys like me and you, I'm just like personal card user. Let's say they have a plus model and a premier model. Well, you start off with the plus model. It might be $69 a year. If you charge X amount of dollars within the first three months, you'll get like, I don't know, it could be like 70, 75,000 bonus points. You can fly quite a few places for that. Once you get those bonus points, say, okay, now you apply for the premier. You get approved for the premiere, so it's $99 a month. I'm not not a month, $99 each year. That's their fee. Once again, after three months, if you charge X amount, you get a crazy amount, like maybe $80,000 bonus points. Next thing you know, you're flying for free for two, three years. That's true. You could go, you could go on those elk hunts. You could go down and see George Riles out in Snellville, Georgia. You could, you, hell, I'm... I might be going to Hawaii. I I don't know because Southwest goes there. So the opportunities are endless. But if you're going to be buying gas or groceries or paying your cell phone bill, why why not have it translate into transportation to help you go to a 3D shoot or a hunt? You know, very very valid. I know with my current with my promotion I took, I'll be traveling here in about three four months. I, they they want to give folks a time to get acclimated to the whole system, so then what's all involved and stuff like that before they send us on the road and such. I'm going to be needing a credit card for that. Well, the company is going to provide us a credit card for it, but it's like I'd like to be able to stack some miles and stuff like that while I'm out there and such and use the per diem to pay off that uh, that trip for it. Stack those miles, man. That's, you, that's exactly will, what I'm looking for. You will use them. Trust yeah. me, you will use them. And, I mean, as far as going out west and elk hunting i mean that's not for everybody but you got antelope you got javelina you, you got you can go prairie dog hunting in montana with a 22 250 or 223 right or you know yeah, yeah there are many different things to do um and you only, you only live once so why not see what our country or continental 48 has to offer and you could even fly down to dominican republic or hawaii or whatever also so it's 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 just good to get a little something back very wise decision to make there 
Yeah, because I know when I was this happened about this happened in two thousand eight when the economy went to went to garbage during during the first reign of terror. I lived in South. I lived in the Southwest. Lived in Phoenix. Phoenix. See, for some other reason, every time we go through that that city goes through cycles, and when the bubble busts again, they're gonna they're gonna crash hard again. It's like they're one of the top five cities that are going to get affected the most just because a lot of California came over and destroyed the market. When I was, hom- when I was homeless, I went ahead and I hitchhiked all across the, the, the West. Started in Arizona, worked my way up to uh, per- Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, all the way out to Washington, and then I skipped California. I said, uh-uh, I'm not going to go to hell. I'll just I'll just go from uh, Oregon back into Nevada and come down that way. So that was, that was a fun experience right there. And then waking up in uh, Urington, Nevada, and finding out that uh, McCain didn't win was kind of, um, well, this is going to be an interesting four years. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy to hear, to hear that experience of yours. Um, so, so you've seen a bit, a bit of the country. Yeah, a little over, uh, I saw about something like 7,000, 8,000 miles of the country. Good. Man, my, my uh, good buddy, his, his son, his son is a, is a free spirit. He's a musician, and... He knows where every train line goes. Okay. He's been everywhere. And the stories I hear are just, this kid's lived more by the time he's been 24 than, you know, somebody will in a hundred lifetimes. But it's just, you know, kind of getting back to what I was saying, being able to see different things and experience different things because we only go around, you know, once. And uh, you want to try to soak it in while it's there. I wanted to touch back on the app, though. You had asked what else was coming up. Um, Yes. That that coach's corner, I'm really excited about that. So I have to go over how we're going to structure that with, with George Riles Griv. George Riles the fourth. That's why he's got the nickname Griv. So that's that's going to be a phenomenal part of the app. And like you said, kind of like a how-to for getting into the competitive world. That's that's going to be part of it. It's going to be like, so you want to shoot indoor spots. Let's look at the equipment, and we'll have text, images, and of course a hell of a video with myself and George, or George uh, by himself at the Archery Learning Center. It's going to take the mystery away from the process. Kind of like uh, taking the mystery away is also, I don't know if we even talked about this yet, I also have another app called 3D Pro Archery. No, we haven't touched upon that. I didn't know. I, I think we had mentioned it in one of our, our conversations here a while back, but I don't think I actually looked, looked up that particular app on on the Play Store. Yeah, it's a it's a five dollar buy. It's a one time buy. It's a it's a high resolution digital target card that covers IBO targets and um, ASA. So for ASA, you get your Delta McKenzie, and I, IBO's got the Reinhardt. You'll be able to see both sides of the target. So no matter what animal you see while you're walking the course, if you see the left side, you could pull up the left side. You could zoom in. You can see where that 12 ring's at, that 10 ring. Also, it has uh, a kind of condensed uh, version of the rules. It's got the ASA rules and the IBO rules. The ASA rules, I, I kind of put them in my own words because, man, is it intimidating uh, once you start first shooting ASA or IBO. What class am I in? You're referring, what, it's, it's the, your app is the 3D Pro Archery? Correct, yeah, right, 3dproarchery.com also. But it's intimidating to know what class you're in, what, what the speed limits are, how long can my stabilizer be, what kind of sight can I use? I mean, it, it's, it's almost at a point to where it could kind of push people away a little bit. So what I'm doing is trying to help grow the sport. That's always been one of my main objectives. And um, actually the guys at ASA 
really like what I did with this. And there was going to be a rule change to make it completely legal last year, but they had a changing of the guard. So I'm in the middle of uh, reestablishing that communication, and it shouldn't be a problem getting that back and getting that into the rules where you'll be able to use that on the course. It's either that or you got. They sell like clipboards with like drawn images of the targets. That just doesn't do This it. is way cooler because the high res images, like for example, when you go to the go to it on your on the Play Store, you'll find that the the example uses the hyena. When you go when you swipe to the very last picture, it shows you the the, the, the ten, the twelve, and the fourteen all right there and like really high res on a brand new target. So now you have a better opportunity to look at, especially when you're setting 30 to 40 yards away, you'd be able it's like, okay, well, now I kind of have an idea where I need to look for said spots in this fourth, or, you know, in this, like, because we got the arc where the elbow is, and then it comes back up, and it's like, all right, so second spot down, that's that's the 12 ring right there, and be able to send it, or if it would feel a little squirrely, and go for that 14 way up in the top uh, right-hand corner, you're ready to rock and roll. And the reason why I did that is because, man, I was shooting, a, I think, the 2019 uh, Illinois ASA. Man, I, I, I had some loophole optics. I think I had 10 powers, and uh, the targets were in such bad shape that I had a hard time seeing the scoring rings with those. Since then, I got some 15 powers, but um, I'm like, man, there's there's a definite need for a really good target card. And to, it's 2023. Why not? Everything else is digital. I mean, it, it, this is, the, and you could study the targets at, at home, um, but if you're on the course, people have their phones on them, whether they say they don't want the phones there or not. I mean, you have kids, I have kids. If an emergency happens, I'm going to have You need to phone. have that phone, yeah. Absolutely. And if they're going to tell me no, then I'd probably tell them to pack sand. But so that's what spurred me into making that app. Um, and think, thankful for my Joliet Archery Club. They have a couple of trailers full of targets, and I was able to get the majority of the targets. Now, I did a lot of Photoshopping of arrow holes, let me tell you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm still tired from doing all that. But that leads me to my next thing. So another friend in the industry, Al Pirelli from Big Shot Targets, he saw what we had, and he's like, he's like man, this is great. He does a projection screen uh, systems. He's like, man, I would love to have that to offer uh, for these 3D shooters. So what those guys did is we worked out a deal to where – I, I, I photoshopped out the background and I got them all the images and they are having it to where they could bring up any target at 20 yards and at 30 it just gets smaller, 40 it's smaller. So it's like being there, it's like shooting it at that distance. Now you'll still use your 20 yard pin because that's typically the range you're shooting at, but the target will be more realistic. That hey, how how close, how small is that? I, how where, Where's my, what's my margin of error out of 40 versus 20? And you will be able to do that now. So hats off to those guys are doing a great job on that. And uh, that should make a lot of 3D archers and uh, people who use their system very happy. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm like, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty exciting to do that. Now, is this, the company, are they all, are they all, all, all the techno hunts? Do they, 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 they is that the, company that owns this techno hunt or, or they own that company so that 3D projection archery simulators is the i'm actually on their thing it says archery simulator i the techno hunt may be a brand name i'm not sure all i can say is that some of their products are called pro video wall monster video wall so that's the only product names that i'm seeing for their actual product i don't see techno hunt i don't know if techno hunt is a blanket term for all those 
kinds of projection systems, and I don't even know how many manufacturers make those projection systems, but um, I do know one that has all the 3D targets, and that is uh, Big Shot targets. So, Okay, yeah, because Technohunt, B-Y-A-I.com, they're the ones that I've seen like up in my area the, at uh, the Cross Archery or over at Coyote Creek and stuff. That's one they use and stuff like that, and that's – a thirty thousand dollar investment right there pocket change for guys like me and you <laughs> oh that that is a pipe dream of mine yeah if you want to get their new state-of-the-art system their th400 system is 3500 bucks that's it yeah. all no, you gotta 30, do no, excuse me thirty five thousand dollars my 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 apologies oh, that ain't nothing you just gotta go shoot the vegas shoot and win first place get 57 grand you'll have 22 grand left over <laughs> yeah this is, i do this way i can buy a build a he shed for it so this way they can put it in there and shoot out of it shoot at it yeah did you uh did you watch that that was last night the vegas shoot that's the that's the super bowl of uh indoor target archery uh, no i was i was in discord editing the podcast from thursday from beast mode archery he'd be a fun guy to have on there because he does a lot of because he does a a traveling not necessarily, it's a traveling show, basically, where it sets up these um, amazing courses at Tyrell Basin or around the area, and you run them in his endurance race. So it's basically CrossFit for men, but you actually have to put a real-world real world solve behind it because now you're you're climbing up 5,000 elevation with the heart racing while carrying a pack of 30 to 50 pounds, depending on what class you're in. And on top of that, too, you got to carry your bow and shoot it accurately. And if you miss, then you get points at or you get minutes added to your overall time. But if you hit like a 12 or a 14, it actually decreases the, the time. At whoa, 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 where, where's this at now? Brian Austin owns the Beast Mode Archery Games. This is at Tyrell Basin in uh, Mount Harab, Wisconsin. And he's got uh, he's, he's got an endurance race coming up the end of the April. And it's an eight-hour race. The track is 2.2 miles. It should take you an hour to go through one complete lap. And you have two targets you got to shoot. It's going to be – someone's going to be standing there watching you shoot. So this way there's no cheating or anything like that. And uh, you can do a – you can do you can do solo or you can do a team of four. And you get to divide 100 pounds of weight. Go from all from there. So it's like it's, – it's a pretty interesting thing. Then he does little mini games at different venues. And then he also has the King of the Hill 3D sh uh, shoot. That's three courses. Last year only had 300 people, so about 100 – people per day you can get through the entire course in about four hours maybe less depending on how big your party is and it's and it'll, it'll kick your ass it'll let you know how out of shape you are because you start at the bottom of the ski hill and then you have to climb all the way to the very top vice versa there's one where you start at the very top and you have to wind all the way down and you got shots where you have to pay attention to the arc of your arrow because if it goes too high you're gonna hit a hit a limb and you only got a small pocket to go through so yeah. much fun I, yeah. I came with six arrows I left with one. And then on top of that, I did a uh, 3D scramble at night with no overhead lights. So all you and your partner are doing is having a flashlight. And while one person's holding the flashlight on your target, the other person is trying to shoot and make sure they hit the hit it, hit it. It's so cool because you watch all the Luminox go off. It's like just, just a light show going back and forth. Well, you, you probably find out real quick who the real good poachers are. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is that is a good point, but man, it's 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 so much fun. It's absolutely a blast. Yeah, that 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 kind of sounds like a little taste of the mountains when you go out there for elk. Man, I came back the one time with heart palpitations for three weeks. I mean, the mountains will chew you up and spit you out. It does not matter to the mountain, but the elevation changes. Big, you know, you gotta get acclimated to it. Um, you had talked about something that um, I've talked about before, uh, shooting the long distance shots, but. 
knowing where your obstacles are at at 20 or 30 yards, you know, and you could be, you could have a clear shot with your pin, but you don't, that, that the trajectory of that arrow might, might hit something between A and B. And that getting back to whitetail hunting, that kind of uh, brings me back to something that a lot of people are missing. You get a lot of people talking about this arrow build, that arrow build, this brand versus that brand, tuning this way, tuning that way. That's only half the battle. You get out there, there are there are some things that are not celebrated or taught or, or talked about very much online. Those are the things that lead to the majority of the failures. Um, I'm just going to ask you real quick, um, from your experiences being on the field uh, hunting whitetail, um, what's one thing that you say, um, yeah, this, if it wasn't for me overlooking this, I would have probably had, had that deer. Is there anything that sticks out? Because if you, I know what I'm thinking, so if you can't come up with any, that's fine, and I, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. Right my, my instant thing is, like, if I'm sitting on the ground, is shooting through the weeds, because sometimes if I'm if I'm just using the weeds as cover and I'm trying not to go that that could throw up because like if the wind's blowing and it's knocking those weed, weeds around your arrow hits just right it could it could send it off but my common thing is where I hunt is very thick brush it is the small thin limbs that you cannot see and it's like when I set up and I set up in either if I'm in a a climber or if I am just basically utilizing a valley and I'm sitting on top and I know there's deer going to be walking through me, I have to spend the extra time examining and trying to focus my eyes to miss it because I had a six-point buck show up this past uh, November at 30 yards, but I couldn't have a shot because of all of the individual little branches that were crossing over that would not be able to let me sink in a shot because I knew somewhere along the lines I'm going to hit something on the way down because I just kind of know how my arrow arcs i just want to go on for a minute about what i have in my head paying it forward trying to help out some guys that are maybe just getting into bow hunting these are some of the lessons that i've learned and i'm just gonna go off at a random order here sure first first thing is practice with what you're gonna hunt in if you're gonna hunt in bulky clothes practice in bulky clothes if you're gonna hunt in a certain jacket put the jacket on wear it the way you're gonna wear it. I found out on this one trip that I was a full draw on a deer. I'm like this, and I, I caught a button on my zip-up hunting coat. Ripped that button right off. Let me tell you what, I never made that mis mistake again. Um, I made sure everything was zipped up, everything was buttoned and tucked away. Very mindful of that now. That's, that's one thing. Second thing is clearing shooting lanes. Maybe one of the, Biggest factors that leads to deflected arrows and uh, improperly hit deer or lost deer. I had a hell of a buck on, on a doe. He brought her right in front of me. I at least gave him that, you know. And then when <laughs> he was done having a cigarette, and he he walked forward another ten yards. I'm like, Phew. I'm like this, and I shot. I'm like, damn, what the hell just happened? I said, go down, go down, go down. He didn't go down. I ended up doing a loin shot. I'm like, how the hell did I hit him, hit him in the loin? So I, I, I wear a GoPro. It's a, a Black Hero 9. And I watched the video. And I watched it over and over, probably a thousand times. I'm like, what is the thing falling right there? What's, what, what is that? I go back to the scene of the crime. There was a branch, a twig, 
a quarter inch in diameter, clean cut, like you took some pruning shears and cut it. That's all it took. That's me being lazy and making excuses. Life gets busy. I didn't get out there. I did not go around with the hui man or the pruners, and I did not make sure all them shooting lanes were clear. Got lazy, and that's that's a big one for people. Clear the shooting lanes. Have, bring somebody with you. Have one guy get up in the tree, say, that tree there. Shake it. Yeah, cut that branch. If you have somebody there, it's going to make it a lot quicker. You've you've done it. I yep, could, I've, I've done exactly like that. Having one, either I'm up in the tree stand or the other, or I'm down on the ground, and we're both we're working in unison. I hunt a yeah. lot of public land. You can't do that on public land, so it's like that makes your your thought process even more difficult. You have to now do your e scouting, but then you have to get out there and walk it to figure out where can I set up, where can I climb up, or where can I set up a ground blind, or how can I just build a makeshift ground blind using the materials on the ground. And if and if you're cutting them shooting lanes. Do everybody in the world a favor and don't cut little saplings four inches off the ground. That's that's an impaling hazard right there. Cut them down as flush as you can with the soil because I've, I've seen that before. I'm like, damn, man, if I just lost my step and fell, that, that could puncture my, my damn ribcage. Um, so there's there's that. Another thing is be an efficient hunter and, and, and pack light. You don't have to bring you know the whole kitchen cabinet with you or the pantry you need your your range finder always have it your release your bow your 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 arrows if you're doing a three to four hour set that's all that you need that that then your phone and in a, in a, in a grunt call i i would never be without without a grunt call i've turned more bucks with grunt calls start off at no response a little louder at, and they still don't respond I did that, man, probably about five or six times, and I've turned them, and I've pissed them off, and they came at me. But those things, I mean, guys guys bring everything that they can out there, and that, that's one of the reasons why I kind of shy away from even thinking about saddle hunting, because that's a whole lot of stuff to bring out there. I would probably sound like a one-man band going out there with my cymbals and hard hats and the bass drum. I'm good with a climber and then just the things I told you about. Now, if I do an all-day sit, invest in a nice, cheap camouflage backpack, to where you could put a, a a power bank like the one that you were showing me that you're going to use for your microphones. Yeah. Those also come in handy if you're out west elk hunting. You know, twenty thousand milliamp hours or more. Um, but yeah, you could charge. You could go out in the mountains for three or four days and have 100% battery. You know, if you're going to go for an all-day sit, maybe one bottle of water, maybe a sandwich, trail mix. E- even at that, you don't need food. We are a fat society, and I myself am probably carrying around four meals right now. It, you're you're not gonna. I mean, if you ever had a colonoscopy, you 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 know what it's like to not 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 eat for a day or a surgery or something like that. You're not gonna die, but have some water with you. Um, but it's a small backpack, and you put it around the tree. A lot of guys go overboard with bringing stuff out. You want to be a ghost. You want to be a ghost in the woods. Slip in, hunt, slip out rattling you know that may that may uh, entice some young bucks and if you're on some uh you know uh undisturbed private property in iowa or nebraska that that may work more but if you're anywhere near public hunting or a lot of hunting pressure all you're doing with them when you're rattling is just saying hey here i am here i am in this tree now if you have it with you and you see a buck that's going to cut you wide you might touch them a little bit but that's where I use 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 the grunt call. Um, but being a ghost in the woods is another kind of talk, and that goes hand in hand with being quiet. Now your bow rope that you drop down, your bow hoist. 
a lot of guys will use these ropes that have like a clip on the end okay well that clip man you could play a nice intro beat against a cam with it and that the high frequency sounds go a long ways and that's what that tinny hit is when you hit that you don't need that you cut that off you tie a big loop at the end and you could pass that underneath your limb and hook the top of your cam you could go through anything and hook anything on a boat and that's quiet as can be and I, hell I buy a thousand foot roll of eighth inch black nylon braid and I just use that and but that big loop and I, I, I got a video on that that's 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 a good tip of keeping it quiet um, another thing is um, you know uh, using scents out in the woods like doing a mock scrape and getting some of that tinks you know pre-rut scrape I never use it my brother uses it and puts a trail cam on it you would be surprised every buck and its brother visits that very cool along the uh, uh, same topic of scents if you know somebody that kills a buck see if you can get the tarsal gland off of it as soon as it's killed go out there skin that off uh, you can make something called tarsal juice and I have a tutorial on shootingtime.com what you do is you make that tarsal juice and then you bring it to a woods that that buck is not from now the tarsal gland is an identification scent of a deer. Does have them too. And when you put that into a new environment, every deer that catches the slightest whiff of it is going to come by to meet the new deer. And I, I was taught this by a guy I worked with, and I, and I was hunting some public. A guy killed a monster buck with big dripping tarsals. I said, hey, you mind if I had the tarsals? No, take them. Made the tarsal juice, gave it to my brother for his birthday. He used it. He 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 texted me. He's like he's like you're not gonna believe this. I had 11 deer come into that mock scrape I made and put that eight sprays of tarsal juice, and I shot the last buck. So that's the real deal there. That's that's a good homemade scent. Shootingtime.com. You you could you could uh, search tarsal juice and it should come up. And then the last thing uh, scent related and probably the end of my hunting rant. Being scent free. Uh, there are plenty of products in just your Walgreens um, that are unscented. Dove makes an unscented bar soap, and they have uh, perfume and paraben-free uh, shampoo also. Um, so you don't have to go overboard on too many scents. You could you could go on the cheap at like your CVS or your Walgreens, um, and just try to keep your clothes uh, out of environments that are going to fill them with different scents. You know. And I always just keep in mind that a lot of scents will make deer curious. It's when they associate danger with the scent that they will get the hell out of Dodge. That's why guys chew in the stand and kill monster bucks and some guys smoke. But as soon as they associate danger with uh, Kodiak, Wintergreen, they smell that down when they're like, hey, that strange looking monkey's in that tree again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. You did, I had the exact same explanation brought to me when I was talking to uh, the guys from Deception Sense out of Arkansas, and I was telling them I was using nose jammer. It's like it's like you can use it one season, but now if you have multiple deer come in on you and you shoot one of them, every one of them is going to just have that memory associated with that smell that's associated with a human. And, you, and it's like I've seen it happen where I've used it once setting up a trail cam. I spritz it once. 
the entire area went dark for about a good solid 30 days. It's like not doing that again. Then I used it out in the field and then it's like, then it's like I stopped carrying it. But yeah, I went to a minimalist approach this year and I saw a lot more bucks and, and does that I, that I said, well, last year, last year was a phenomenal year. I probably saw oh, at least 30 bucks over the course of the year and stuff like that from the different places I traveled around at. My biggest being a 170 class, but Damn. the son of a gun shows up on my right side. I, I draw with my right side, so there's no way I could sw- I was sitting in a notch of a tree, and there's no way that I could get around and spin around to shoot him. And he gave me a 15-yard broadside shot, and he gave zero fucks. I grunted. I bleated him in, actually. Three o'clock, it's like, well, I'm getting bored. I'll see if there's something that's horny out there. Bleated three times. I start hearing something walking. So, but I see, I saw five, uh, four other bucks that day. And they walked down towards the water. So it's like, okay, well, perfect. They're gonna, he's gonna walk right in my path. I'll be able to set up and draw on him and be perfectly fine. Nope, he walks like like a traditional buck. He walks upwind, behind, not necessarily directly behind me, but right. I would take. And then he comes right down next to me. Yeah, and, and he looked around. He, he didn't even care. Then he just trotted all off. I grunted at him, tried to see if I could get him to turn because at that time I was getting myself positioned, and he just kept walking. He just did not care. He's like, oh, man. But it was a really cool experience, though, to see this buck that close. And then yeah. once I got down, I walked to where he came through and like noticed how the gap that he had to get through and get his rack under so it didn't get, get hung up. And it's like that was the coolest experience I ever had. Dang, that's pretty cool. Now, were uh, you in a saddle? No, I was just I just climbed up. I just happened to find an opportunity where it's like, well, I can position myself in this little notch, and I wa- and I just walked it up there and just held very tightly and just made it work. Man, oh man, <laughs> I haven't done that since I was a teenager. Um, the the other thing I uh, regarding senses that o- Ozonics, I have heard so many damn stories of how it's remarkably good. Have you ever had experience with o- Ozonics at all? No, I've never wanted to buy it because it's a four to five hundred dollar unit. The granted, it's out of my home state, Iowa, and they're actually made in Mason City, Iowa, which I only lived about thirty minutes from from there. And I never, I never bought them. I hear people that have really good results with them, and I've seen them with them, but I've just never. It's it's just expensive. It's like five hundred dollars for that piece of equipment or a five hundred dollar pistol. It's like I probably buy a pistol. That's 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 why I I don't have it, but. I mean, I forgot who I was talking to last, but I, I just heard yet another story, and a good one too, of how. Oh, the uh, man, the story went went like this: the guy had this, like I don't know, let's say big old buck come in on him, and he was downwind, the bucks just milling around and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden the buck goes just just like this, and then gone. He's like, man, what? I didn't, what, what? And he looked at the Ozonics and the battery died. It stopped working. The result, I mean, that's what he was saying, that once that stopped working, somehow the scent got to that buck. And pretty neat. It'd be cool to check one out, but that's yet another thing to carry out in the woods. But eh, if it makes the difference, eh, it'd be something cool. But I know we're talking about scents and all that stuff, so... I figured I'd bring that up, see if you had any experience with it. Yeah, I th- when I was hunting private land, it did cross my mind about purchasing one. But now, since I hunt public, that's one extra piece of equipment I got to worry about. If something happens to that, I mean, that's five hundred bucks right there, just down the drain. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I had that's a buddy of mine, uh, Cavern Stover, this earlier this year. He was, uh, I think, it was in Tennessee or if he was in Kentucky, but he climbed up in his in his in his 
tree stand and set up his $5,000 camera and something went wrong and he went 20 feet down. So there was $5,000 on the ground. His equipment or him or both? Oh, no, his equipment, his camera just crashed. I I, I was going to say, another good thing to tell people is uh, invest in a lifeline and a harness. They are so comfortable and easy to wear. And if you have a hang-on tree stand, uh, getting that lifeline up there the first time is the toughest thing. And it's not that bad. And it doesn't make it any slower climbing up the steps or a ladder or anything. When your hands are going up, you slide the Prusik knot. I mean, it's it was eye-opening when I did an article on hunter safety on shootingtime.com. And I read all these stories, real stories from your home state, my home state. Really heartbreaking stuff, man. And over half of them were falls. And out of the falls, um, half were on the uh, ascension and half were on the descension. Or no, half of them... Well, I really backed myself in the corner here. I think half of them were up on the way up or down, and then half were up in the platform. Maybe the plat, like a Chinese cable broke off of a hang-on, or they fell asleep. I used to sleep in my climber, but I mean, even like the chain going around the tree or whatever you use, um, equipment can fail. Aluminum can crack. I've been a decent athlete my entire life, and I always used to... I, I never tied off or wore a harness for 20-plus years, and then after I wrote that article... I won't go up with without one because uh, if a screw-in step breaks, if if a cable goes bad, anything. So that's that's like another thing. Going back to the hunting tips. But. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good thing to to do. I have one too. I have a tree spider from Scent Blocker or Blocker now, and that's really comfortable. I've had some of those cheaper ones, and then it's like I just putting them on on the ground. It's like I ain't gonna buy this. I'll, I I went out and bought a really nice one. Then when my wife got into hunting. Uh, when we started first started dating and stuff like that, I got her. I spent the extra money and got her a nice setup too because they're comfortable. It's it's easier around the than the crotch and in the thighs and stuff like that because that's where where it could really become uncomfortable. And if you're spending six plus hours in a tree stand, you want to be as comfortable as possible. But I really like what Pat Newcomb's come up with with the Newcomb blind because he he his his he just released a taller one now for 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 guys like I'm six two and it's like I I. I've been looking for, I have a ghost blind, but I'd, I'd like to have that flexibility because there's I, there's different setups that I want to use it for, but at least with the, the Nukem blind, it breaks down within minutes, only weighs three pounds. Uh, you can turn it into a walking stick. Don't put too much weight on it because it's carbon fiber. You can easily snap them off, but you can easily carry that in a, in a tripod chair and you could set that up anywhere, anywhere you, you want to go. It's like, and so it's... Set. You gotta send send a link to me. I want to check that out. Yeah, I did a podcast with him when he was at the uh, uh, open season event there in the Dells, and he's just a really great guy. And the price point is only like 110 bucks. Really respectable for the average hunter that wants to be able to pick up his stuff, walk out there, and go, and have that minimalist approach. Well, and for public land too. I mean, it's it's not really celebrated. It's underrated. It's the ground hunting. What do you call them? Uh, ghillie suits or whatever? Yeah, ghillie uh, suits. Yeah. Those and that maybe that blind that that right? You're yeah, it's like a ground blind. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a a triangle kind of like pyramid type scenario where it just it just folds out and the tension of it sets it up where you can be able to work that. And he had, came up with a smaller one. I think it was like forty inches, forty two inches tall from mm-hmm. from the from the ground up. But it's like I couldn't. I'm, I my knees are not the most cooperative in a three quarter chair. I need to have a, I need to actually have a nice platform underneath me because knees aren't what they used to be. And I'm climbing up and down bluffs and stuff like that. I need to. I need to be mindful of that. Yeah, another pretty much professional hunter, Terry Verbal. He's another guy uh, that's been with McPherson since he was out of his garage. I I met him when I was out public hunting, um, and uh, man, we had some good talks. 
and uh, you know he he told me he's like hey Corey he, he's like to these deer it's not a game it's life or death those deer know where every hunter walked to get out to where they're at they know every tree that they're hunting out of they know this is serious business to them those deer will go where the hunters don't he he's like get yourself a tripod get out in some crp get away from the hunters or you know you, you might find some thicket to where you can't get a tree stand up and to where if you get a ghillie suit or one of them ground blinds you might get into the thick of them also you get into the thick of them so i i put that into, into action the one year and uh, the best thing I did is I, I, I had like this kind of game air system to where you could crank it up and hear hear yourself think you know I mean it's amazing what you pick up but if it wasn't for those I wouldn't have had the heads up because if you're in that tough to see through environment if you're low sometimes having a little hearing aid type device helps you out but uh that's another good tip for those who take to the public land is hunt where the hunters aren't that's exactly right man i'll i'll scale up some bluffs to get into some spots where i know they're not where where i've i've I've, i have a spot where i hunt and it's like depending on the where the wind is i know exactly where the deer are going to be at because i've been hunting it for like three four years now now and then i moved to a new place this uh about two years ago now i have within 15 minute driving distance i have 2600 acres of public land access and it gets it gets it's get quite it gets it gets uh, quite crowded in some areas. So this spring, so pretty much between in between now and April, I'm, I have a buddy of mine coming up here mid-April, and uh, he's going to be up in northern Eau Claire, but he wants to come down here and do an in-house podcast. And so what I might do is like, well, him and I might go out there and actually go hike it because he's do he's got this beautiful uh, tour de force of he wants to go to Kansas, Missouri. Uh, Illinois, and he wants to go up to the Dakotas and hunt in these different spots and just do all public land, spot and stock the whole process for it. I told him, I was like, why don't you come out to Wisconsin? Because it's like, we have a, such an, a long season. You, you can make this in your route, plus you can stay with me, but maybe this is my way of selling him on this piece of property because it's you'd be able to get out there. And it's like, I was able to, I parked my truck, walked in 150 yards, and I bleeded in a six-pointer this, this past uh, season. And there's been people hunting this exact same area. I just kind of got lucky, and the thermals are in my favor, and the wind was in my favor. So it's like I got to hit this spot, and sure enough, first time ever walking this property, I bleeded one in. As I explained to you earlier, I had all those little le- those limbs. There was no way I can be able to snitch, stitch an arrow in there. So the, the next time I went back in there, I walked the same dis- direction, but I walked where I knew where it was going to come out at. So I just walked a little bit area where I knew that I had some lanes where I could pass through it, but I had massive maple trees where I can hide behind and just kind of stand back and just kind of just wait for him to show up. And as I got closer and closer to magic hour, I got myself positioned. So when he does show up, I can easily be at draw and just kind of peek around and just let it off. Nice. You're going to have to send a link to that bleat call to me. <laughs> no, that was all natural. That was all me. Let's, let's hear it. Come on. Let's <laughs> so hear I, just, it. I just went ma ma, And it's like the way it echoed. That's it. Like, really? Yep. I just um, did. I did it three times because from what I've learned is that if you do it three consecutive times, short bleats, it just it's just a signal letting you know that like, hey, I'm I'm ready to mingle. So you do it all by by mouth. Yeah, that was time I did because I didn't bring a call out there with me. I just like I'm just gonna try it. It's like I'm, I'm the magic hour and see what happens. But you do have a bleak call that. Yes, you, I do. I do have a bleak call. Yeah, but I didn't bring it with me, so it's like. Which I'm one? Good. Which 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 one do you use? Do you know the brand? Uh, Flextone. 
is it Flex? I think it's the name of the brand is Flexstone. I don't. I have it buried right now, uh, but I believe it's Flexstone, and it's uh, Bone Collectors. Okay. And, and it's I've used it to call. Well, I can't see the 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 buck behind me, but I have a buck behind that I used to used it to to bleed it in and stuff like that. And that's I've seen I have a lot more consistent luck and bring in bucks with bleats than I do with grunts. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I've I've never really used the bleed all that much. I mean, I used to bring a can out sometimes, but yeah. I had those too. I don't like them. I don't yeah, like them either. Because yeah. like but, if you but but the uh, buck roar, man, was it a Primos? I think it is. Maybe man, that thing has been phenomenal. I've I've called bucks off at does. I'm I'm talking. I was on this one time, and the only spot that I, I kind of have a blind spot is a big hill in front of me, about 80 yards away. I could see for miles. Well, not miles, but big hardwoods. <laughs> but it was cold as heck. This was uh, two years ago. I'm sitting there warming my hands up, and these two does come over this hill, and they're they're just. I'm like, all right, all right, someone's pushing them. And then I see this chocolate rack buck, man. And I had seen him a couple days before. And I'm like, oh, but and I'm racing to get my gloves off you know and get my bow and stuff like that and i'm like okay i'm set and i'm like okay these dolls are either gonna stay in the preserve or they're gonna come on a private property okay come on a private they didn't as luck would have it they went to this preserve where you can't shoot them or hunt so i'm like well he's gonna follow them that's what i would do if i was him looking for what he's looking for um so he started taking a couple steps towards them and i grabbed that grunt call and i'm like bat one nothing he kept walking a little bit louder short blast nothing he went a couple more steps so i'm like all right i'm gonna give him half of a roar okay and he's like who said that and he looked <laughs> who said that and then he started like kind of proud i'm gonna kick somebody's ass walk like coming at me and i'm like oh, okay oh yeah he crossed the property line i had already you know ranged a couple spots i'm like man if he comes here it's a 30 yard shot and he came in and gave me a 25 yard shot i literally shot a two blade rage right through the center of his heart guess how far he ran oh what maybe 30 yards 85 yards with no heart man that dreadle really kicked in yeah the well he's got all the blood in him and He's not pumping any out of his body because his heart, his pumps down, right? Kind of crazy that he ran 85 yards. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I know I nailed that shot. And man, I, I got a picture of the heart. It, it was like jello and a big old rip right through the middle. But man, they are tough animals to run 85 yards. I don't think I'd make it five. Something else. But yeah, it's not a case of the uh, grunt call coming into play. You had mentioned the Western States. Have you ever heard of the Breaking Point TV? Yes, I've heard of Breaking Point. Mike Mansell, Brennan Nading, and crew, those guys uh, taught me a lot about videography. But they're also experts at hunting them western states and making weekend trips out there, scouting and all that. Like you said, North Dakota, I mean, I've, I've, I've gone out there like three times duck hunting. I mean, amazing duck hunting. Very few little patches of woods, and the locals out there just cherish the deer and don't give a crap about the ducks. But these guys have hunted all over, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and all that. Man, you, I should cut, let you connect with Brent, Brennan, get, get his contact info. Yeah. He, he'd be a man. He's a great dude, a wealth of knowledge. Those guys get it done, too. Watch their videos. Watch their seasons. They put some deer down, and they do it consistently. I mean, unbelievable. Definitely be a good guy for you to meet. 
that'd be fantastic to check out him. So here's a story. Here's this just happened to me back at the right around Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, I was down in, in Peoria. And I was leaving my father-in-law. He was in the hospital because he's battling cur- currently battling uh, leukemia. And so we're coming by the Glen Oaks uh, Amphitheater. I'm not sure if you know where that is, off of uh, Dan Fogelberg Parkway in Peoria. We're driving across, and all of a sudden I see uh, deer crossing signs. Like, oh, that's cool. And then it's like then not even 150, 200 yards later, here comes this massive 150-class buck just strutting right across the road. I slowed down, looked at him. I was like, this is just dumb luck for me. I see the biggest deers of my life out here in the middle of fucking Peoria. And we just kind of watched him. And my wife was looking back from the corner. And was like, she sees a, a doe back in there. And we were um, another trip going back, oddly enough, going to, back to Illinois. On our way into Illinois, coming through Iowa, there is a conservatory. It's over by Davenport, Iowa. And we're coming around like 7 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, I watched this buck. I thought it was going to be a, a coyote, oddly enough. All of a sudden, he brings his head up. And that typical rack i mean this was a picture perfect rack he comes up beautiful silhouette it's like i just keep on getting i, I saw him saw some so i was slowed down and it's like well i'm gonna get on it closer to see what it looks like and like, it's like Dude, don't do that she's he's gonna the deer's gonna come come at us while well, i had the bright sun so he's gonna quick dart, dart back down and uh yeah that was just crazy to see that and every time we go through that at night i'm always looking to see if i can see that deer again but i've always seen the deer in this area over by the conservatory and oddly enough it's like right next to manufacturer that makes coffins oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild uh i i worked in De- des moines for like three months doing a microsoft data center and i had a uh my firstborn was really young then so i was driving home on the weekends working like five tens man every time i would be going out there when i'd cross the mississippi and get into iowa i'd start seeing deer all over and actually uh if you're familiar with des moines southwest corner is nearby where that Microsoft Data Data Center was okay. built. There's a Raccoon River down there. Oh my God, the amount of deer in those fields! I'm like unbelievable. And Iowa is just a phenomenal state. Terry Verbal, the one guy that's you know been with Matthews for forever, he said if he would move anywhere, it'd be Northwestern Iowa. He said you got the most deer over 200 inches and a population of three million. Oh yeah. Oh, you mean northeastern? Because that that puts you right by decor, and so that's where a lot of, a lot of the big bucks. And they also actually have a, I, one of the highest areas for the highest quota because they do a, a quota system based off okay. the counties and stuff like that. So that's just not that far away because that's where the home of expedition is in Decora. I I want to say he said northwestern, but I mean the whole state's probably pretty dynamite. Um, but... Well, the further west over by Sioux Falls, that becomes very flat. There's not a lot of deer out there because it's it's it doesn't there's not a lot of coverage for them and such and it's it's they got some pockets in there but it's not a lot in there and when we do have these massive cold fronts like when, back in 2012 2013 where we're the upper Midwest like Minneapolis saw like 129 days below zero Rochester saw 99 days below zero well you further you go out towards Sioux Falls area out there it got so cold it decimated if you look at opportunities to apply for um, points, stuff like that, apply for uh, the quotas. Like we see the quota system that breaks on the DNR website, very minimal amount of deer out in that area. So I feel like the, the, the ideal place to go is either the Northeast corner. Well, for you, it'd be North, Northwest yeah. and then, or you go down South West for, for, um, for Iowa down below South, um, Iowa City, Oskaloosa, Tumwa. Maybe it was Southwest. I, I just remember him saying West. Um, maybe he said Western Iowa. That's 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 what he probably said. But it sounds like from from what you're saying, nor, Northeastern Iowa is not a spot to overlook. 
No, it, it, it's it's that corner up in that area produces a lot of major bucks some of that area. And plus, it's it's all through the – it's bluff country, essentially. It's driftless area. And that's when, when the icebergs were coming down through here about after the younger driest period, 11,800 uh, yeah, 11, years ago. It really carved out the Mississippi Valley and stuff like that. And so when you're going through the area, absolutely one – Beautiful country, but that's where you see a lot of massive bucks in that area that are that you can't really sleep on. And then once you once you get past uh, Cedar Rapids and such like that, you get further down towards uh, Knoxville, along with uh, Tumwan, Oskaloosa, and and uh, Centerville, Fairfield. There's there's just massive bucks in that area too as well. I know uh, John Dudley. He lives over by Indianola, Iowa, which would be. I'm looking at the map right now. So Winterset, no, so Indianola, Iowa is straight south of Des Moines off of 65. So he lives in that area right there. And he shoots some massive bucks in that area. And then also Johnny Mulligan, he lives in the southeast side of it too. Well, from UOB southwest, just, just across the border. Johnny Mulligan, he shoots a lot of big bucks over in that area as well. That's I a see. fun guy to talk to. He's been on, he was on my podcast this summer. We bounced around from how we talked about grieving about our significant loved ones and how we use the woods to do that and how we receive some of the most difficult news in the woods. Uh, we talked about ayahuasca. We talked about all kinds of unique things about uh, life in yeah. general. You're going down the rabbit hole there, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, I... It's, it's 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 it was a fun conversation. Like also listening to about his um, previous experience as a narcotics cop officer and such over there in oh, yeah. Ohio and Kentucky and such. I helped I I helped the local my my, my brother and I uh, were uh, contacted through Facebook. Some 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 kid had a, a ten acre parcel near, nearby and he was looking to he had to put some greenhouse up. He had the frame up and he needed the plastic drug over. And he needed three or four guys. And, you know my brother and I went over there and helped him and you know he had 10 acres and some woods he, he said you're more than welcome to haunt it i didn't even really check it out it's kind of landlocked with houses and you know but interesting guy i mean you you talk about alternative medicine and stuff like this this dude goes down to costa rica and then hiawatha and all that dmt i mean there are realms that uh, we've not really explored hardly at all there's some pretty interesting psychological journeys that guys have taken and they've seen and heard different things uh Definitely uh, something to research for your own knowledge. And I'm very well familiar with ayahuasca. I have a I have a buddy of mine that's been going down to the Peruvian jungle since 2015, and he's been bugging me to come down there, just dropping the six grand to go down there to go through it. But I've never been. I've never had a identity crisis where I don't know what my purpose is or where I need to follow where I where I need to go. It's called a spirit molecule for a reason because when most people that do it, if you could be agnostic or an atheist, and by the time you're done with the five to seven day whole entire trip, usually most people will restore a connection with the good Lord because it opens up their brain to so many different things and helps them digest a lot of traumas that they buried away. And it brings a lot of stuff to the, to the surface. Yeah. 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 I've heard quite a few uh, podcasts, a few from JRE um, Mm -hmm. and just very interesting. I, I have a hard enough time at the age of 46 coming back from uh, too many beers. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to conserve what's left up there, and I'd, I'd hate to put it on an obstacle course that uh, I wasn't fit to be on. Um, that's 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 one of the hazards of taking any kind of uh, mind-altering drugs. But it's interesting, and you know, if enough science gets behind it to where you know it takes the hazards and the fear out of it, and the benefits are more 
uh, known, well known, then, you know, that's pretty exciting for uh, a lot of people who have mental disabilities as well. Just like you said, coming out of a rut, breaking through diagnosis of whatever condition, it, it has been known to help a lot of people. So very interesting. Mm-hmm. The brain is the final frontier. I mean, medicine is really still in the stone age. If you've ever had a bad shoulder or needed your uh, vertebrae fused in your back, you know that it hasn't came that far. Um, you know, guys like Elon Musk and stuff exploring the brain with Neuralink and all that stuff. I mean, it's exciting that they're starting to map more of the brain and uh, you know, get, get, get their hands dirty with it now. Because a lot of the medical profession, professionals are blinded by money and greed, not really looking for the advancement. They're looking for the the bigger paycheck. Big Pharma has been a big uh, stunt in the whole process. Uh, of the thing. I don't even want to yeah. get on that one. Yeah. I don't even want to get on that one. If you want to look into a company, it's called MAPS, M-A-P-S, and they have been doing a big deep dive and they've been doing surveys of that. They're the ones that are actually working on getting the psychoactive drugs legalized so this way they can be applied to psychiatric treatments and such. And they've done, a, they've done a lot of studies with PTSD, with MDMA. They've done a lot of studies with uh, psilocybin because it's a little bit easier to manufacture and such or to, to, to grow and be cure and such. And they do a lot of amazing work with it. What I first found out about MAPS is that I, uh, regarding PTSD because I have a lot of friends that served in the military during, during when, we were the, when the litter box was popping off the biggest before we went after Osama bin Laden there back in the early 2000s there. Listening to what MDMA does to the brain because like the PTSD scale goes from one to a, well, 0 to 175. And what they found is that usually with one treatment, they do it once every 30 days, and you have to go through psych- psychiatric treatment as well through the whole thing. And they try to keep you as clean as possible, not in any other SSRIs and such. And they found that one treatment can drop a PTSD level by near between 60 to 75 points. It's a really big uh, improvement. I heard one story that Rogan had was a, a wartime reporter, and he went through the whole process. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to yield the results he was looking for. He just wanted to simply cry. But he was been through Yugoslavia, Bosnia, a lot of really nasty, nasty areas, seeing kids and families and women, all that fun stuff, having going through traumatic experiences. He just wanted to be, not feel so numb to society. He wanted to regain some empathy. Hell, I mean, it could be a, a former soldier. Thank you for your service, by, by the way. Oh, uh, no, I didn't serve. I did serve. Oh, but I, oh, okay. I, but I, still, I, I serve my country working for the company I do work for. Our company has a military contract where we help with veterans do with the compensation and pension exams. And that was one thing that we wanted to do, that they was engineered to be able to pull this administrative stuff from the VA so this way the VA can focus on other things. And by doing that is that we've been able to turn a veteran's claim process where it used to take years and not decades when i first started back in 2017 it would take about 90 day, 90 days to go through the whole process now once we get a claim once the veterans files a claim with the va the va sends it over to us and within 21 days we'll have we'll have them seen by a practitioner and that information is sent back to the va and they'll have their rating decided within a very quick turnaround time less than 30 days now that's awesome because, yeah, yeah, I heard the VAs were like a nightmare uh, prior to service like that. No, the thing I was going to say is uh, outside of soldiers and whatnot, you got your correctional officers and your police officers too. And probably some firemen. The firemen see some horrific damn things with car wrecks and kids cut in half and, you know, people that have been dead in a damn room for two weeks and they got to go bring them out. 
I mean, I'm a career electrician. Um, we have hazards on the job, but to deal with the stuff that some of them guys have seen, um, I mean, the one guy that ran an outfitting service in Utah, he was a correctional officer, and he was like, his, his, his brain was just desensitized and just like ruined because of the evils of society that he had to deal with. So yeah, uh, getting back to that, um, yeah, it'd be cool when science gets there to where they, they could actually use that for a just reason and uh, monitor it and really treat people, you know. It's pretty cool. The only thing that I find that they're going to hold that back is that it, once they once they start opening up brains, they'll start people will start op- waking up. You got the woke, and then you have the awake. And that's what, that's what powers that be don't want to have people to do is they don't want them to wake up because once they wake up, they'll recognize the real problem is only controlled by a half a percent. And we have three, we have like seven or eight billion people. We can really change the dynamics of power rather rapidly. Well, you saw what they did. The protest was in Portland, and they just turned over the keys to that city. And they'll, oh, they'll, Jazz they'll, and Chop? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, the, that was a dumpster liberals fire. Liberals just, yeah, that was, it was amazing to see how little it took to take control. But at some point, then, you know, they're going to turn your guns, our own guns on our own people. And that's when, uh, I mean, if it's for the right reason, that's when the Second Amendment is your best friend. And, you know, governors like Pritzker in Illinois are the enemy, because I'm sure you know what happened with the uh, assault rifle ban and all this. It's a very great law. I've been doing a lot of research, and it's a very great law. And it's like, luckily, there's 85 uh, sheriffs in in, in the state have decided to stand up against him. Now, I don't know why that's not considered treason or tyranny, but then again, not very much. I heard the court case is not going in his favor, and I also heard that the Pritzker family, who is one of the richest families in the U.S., yeah, yeah, in the world, um, yeah. they just opened up a gun range in Wisconsin. <laughs> no kidding. Oh yeah. Well, that isn't that something? Is that backwards? You betcha. You betcha. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea they did that. I'll have to do some digging for that one. Freaking yeah! What a, what a joke. Yeah, that, that that whole family commands quite a few eye rolls if you look into his cousins and it, it's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, oh, up, Je- look up Jennifer Pritzker. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm very familiar with Jennifer Pritzker and her foundation yeah. and, and right oh. what happened in 2013 and what we have today. It seems like it was very deliberate. But anyways, that's for that's for my other podcast that I do on Friday nights where we actually get to deep dive in that and we do the same thing here. We go live on YouTube and you can ask questions, you can ask for for our opinion because my buddy Brady and I, we do a lot of research stuff about that and we would make a weaker man commit suicide for the amount of information that I've discovered and looked at. Some of the stuff is it's is something a matter of time for these theories to come true very dark what's going on and like after learning about the apostle entities cern hedgelon clyder and geneva it is an eye-opening situation i recommend those that are interested in it look at revelations chapter 2 verse 13 and it will and it, it and you look at what i just told you, you do the you do the research and you look at god's witness and you look at all that stuff right there that's what terrifies me well, check that out so anyways man oh, very interesting where are some of the best ways to find? Because we, you're, tell the audience what platforms you can find your programs on, your apps on, and what are the best ways to get a hold of you if you have, if they have questions about the app, or if they want to, or if they want to contribute, or at least be able to participate with the app. Sure, the app is available in two different formats: the subscription model, so that's Bowshot Bible subscription, and Bowshot Bible Lifetime. So subscription model is three ninety nine a month, thirty nine ninety nine a year. Uh, 
or yeah, a year, and then the lifetime version. I want to say it's at 129 for the app. That's a buy it one time deal. Um, so that's both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, and then we have the online version that's going to get a total makeover, spot on parity with the uh, mobile version. Um, and you could sign up for that one at bowshopbible.com. As far as how to contact us, um, the subscription version is a free download, um, and there is an About Us tab in the app, and there's a Feedback Part button in that About Us section. So go to the About Us, hit the Feedback, whatever you type in there gets sent right to me. That's a good way to get a hold of me. We have a Facebook page, Bowshop Bible. We have a Facebook group. It's Bowshop Bible Group. All you have to do is uh, just go and ask to join that. It's, I think it's a private group, but that's a good place to talk shop and whatnot. Um, another good place to get a hold of me is um, on the Zoom podcast every third Thursday of the month at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. And uh, that's pretty much about it. You should be able to find an email on bowshopbible.com as well. Um, but uh, the feedback from the app gets emailed directly to me that's probably one of the best ways or just message the group or the page on facebook also i i love the feedback and the one thing that you had mentioned what was it the zoom dates need to be updated because right now they're reflecting the 2022 and then the response time if if you want to start going down that rabbit hole for different animals because right now you have the ibo with response time maybe now it's like if you can find basically crowdsources and see if anybody's willing to provide their knowledge, like for example, a Paul Corn that has hunted pretty much every animal that walks this earth. He's got like two or three grand slams under his belt. He's just a humble man, and he's just a fantastic human being from from my experiences dealing with him. Awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be good to get data from them um, and to study video as well to get the video and to break it down into Adobe Premiere, which is your newfound love, right? <laughs> it's it's a love-hate uh, relationship right now. But the, the captioning tool is, is pretty neat. That's that's something that uh, was recently updated last week that allows you to have your each word of it, what it does is it takes every single word of your clip, breaks it down line by line, and then and it allows you to follow like it's a sing-along. I captioned a couple of the videos, so I have some experience with that captioning. It is really neat. And that's also something that I was thinking about trying to incorporate into the app is having a caption button to where people could turn on the captions because some people may hate the sound, sound of my voice or they may be laying in bed and don't want to wake the wife up, whatever the case. Well, if you if you got a lady laying in bed next to you, you shouldn't be watching me. Trust me. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, the captioning and I mean, Adobe is very powerful. It's not the most user friendly. It's a professional videographer's tool. And if you learn it, I think the sky's the limit. And I'm just starting to exper- experiment with the different audio sound effects and clips. I want to get to the point to where I could do really kick ass intros and you know special effects and stuff which if you have the creative cloud, the whole palette of Adobe stuff, and you could talk them down on price too. I think I pay like 37 bucks. It's 20 bucks for just Premiere, 20 for Photoshop. I got my way to you know 37, but they have After Effects and a bunch of other things. But yeah, man, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, keep in touch after this is said and done, because it sounds like we do a lot of the same things and it's cool to learn together and to have somebody to ask questions to. You may experience something where I could benefit from your knowledge and vice versa. So yeah, it'd be awesome. 
Amen to that, guys. So thank you, everybody, for tuning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. This podcast will remain streaming. The audio version will come out here shortly after I get tweaked and such. But uh, go to the link tree in the bio and go through it. Look at all the sponsorships that I have in there, the affiliate links, along with HHAUSA.org schedule that's coming up. So go please check that out. as And as well as the Beast Mode Archery Challenge, that's that link is in the link tree as well. So go please check that out. Register. Brian Austin just advised that once they hit 300, they're giving away a new Hoyt. I can't remember what it's called, but it's in bourbon color. It's pretty cool. But that's what they're giving away as a, as a prize for Hoyt. So, and plus, there's also tickets on there that you can get to purchase prior to the REMF Foundation as well, where they're giving away Hoyt, a Matthews, and the Elite. So thank you for tuning in, everybody, and we'll talk to you later.